Nate rolls up the bay doors and you walk in and it's all he's got a super 73 here. It's just so California. This is just like good weather outside. <laughs> it's just like the most California thing ever. Every dude's dream is to have this is like now, you know, if you're in business, they have a content creation studio and a a badass place to work at, even if you don't make content in the fitness industry, but you're right. in the, the fitness. Did you ever try having this as like a man cave studio on site on your own property? Like at home, or did you want the? Fit? I mean, because originally I know that we had the protein supplement company for a while, so you probably obviously yeah. added the warehouse for that. Is this lease left over from that venture? Uh, technically, it is the second lease um, that started with the protein company. Uh, we were in a smaller space, and the reason we moved out of the smaller space was because the gym business was kind of uh, growing, and we had more coaches, we just had more employees, just more people on site, and we just needed more space for that. And the supplement company came with us, but it was simultaneously downsizing. So they, I mean, they, my, my brother, my cousin, myself, you know, we were taking up a very small footprint in this space. So I knew that this was going to be like the gym. The, the vision was this being a gym. The old space was kind of like my, my like so-called man cave. Like it was pallet racks along one wall, fulfillment for the supplement company, but like the rest of the space just wasn't going to get used. And I was like... I mean, originally, like, I just was the only one that trained there. I had, yeah. like, you know, basic rubber rolled out, and then my my sweet, my personal setup, kind of one of everything, and that's where I trained for the games in 2016 and where I continued to train after that. And then I started to, like, let some clients come in, you know, and, and then it kind of took off from there. The supplement company, was that your first, like, venture in, okay, I'm – I'm going to do something beyond being a games athlete and probably paid sponsorships and things like that. Did that come in when, you know, when did that start and why did you go that route? I mean, it probably seems like an easy A to B for most people if they're thinking like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. a games athlete. What will I do as a secondary business stream of right. income? Yeah, the supplement business actually started years before that when I was still a, like an affiliate owner, CrossFit affiliate owner. My customers are asking me all the time for recommendations on supplements. This was like I was heavy into the supplementation, mm -hmm. you know, phase of my athletic career, using these supplements uh, to support my recovery and just my CrossFit experience. And people are like, hey, what do I take? And, you know, I kind of got tired of being like, well, go up to you know, this store or go to this website and do this and that. And they didn't really want to do any of that either. And I was formulating something for myself on like True Nutrition. Do you remember that website? Yeah, That's absolutely. Like, I don't know if they're still around, but, you know, it was, it was a pretty killer site. It was like concoct your own. You concoct your own yeah. for formulations and, and you had a lot of flexibility to make whatever you want. So I was making some formulas and I was buying them in like 50 pound bags, you know, because that was how you get the cheapest deal. Mm -hmm. And so I was literally just like, cutting bags in like Ziploc bags and like here's a pound like that'll be 30 bucks kind sure. of thing and I did that long enough where I was like moving a decent amount of like you know Volume. product yeah. in my own gym and it was like you know maybe another 1500 bucks take home each month which was great and I was like this is awesome and I was like okay I, this is getting a little out of hand I don't want to like Weigh and measure, you know, yeah. bags. It's I like had. a trap house, like essentially cutting and bagging. And <laughs> it yeah. was my my office was like everything was a little sticky, like yeah. at the gym because yep. there's like powder everywhere, scales everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. So that just, uh, I I was like, okay, well, maybe I can get some of these. And then I think I I connected with True Nutrition, and they're like, hey, we have this co-packer that we work with that does like you can work within our company, our our parent company, to just do bigger orders. And so they started sending me two pound bags of the same stuff. I made a little sticker. I went on Fiverr or whatever yeah. and had a little uh, logo made and then slapped those on. And people, you know, 
were happy to have something convenient at the gym. So I had Revive RX was born. I started selling it there. Maybe I sold it at one other gym. Someone's like, hey, could I sell it here? I had a couple gyms and I just did, did it locally. And then my brother and my cousin were like kind of transitioning in their careers and moving like from one company to the next. They're like, hey, they want to sink their teeth into something. They're like, you've got a following. Mm-hmm. You're like heavy in the CrossFit community. You're trusted. You have this brand. Like, we're going to, can we come in and just, and I was like, sure, go ahead. Like, pour all your energy into it, whatever you want to make of it. Like, and so they, they decided to help or try and scale it. And so that was kind of it's really a tough business to step. I mean, it's oh, a tough, for sure. tough thing to win at. Totally. I mean, it took us three years, a lot of hard work and, you know, challenges in every part of that industry um, to realize like, Hey, you know what, this thing is, this is how much we've grown it. And unless we're going to go and get some big, massive investment, we're going to try and compete with these other brands. Like, what we realized was that in the CrossFit space, like to emerge as like a very powerful supplement company was difficult because the the distribution was going to be through CrossFit gyms and they were not doing the best at like uh, retail sure. and merchandise and things like that. And they just weren't really running savvy, you know, yeah. retail it's, spaces. It's one thing to get into a GNC, which that's all they do is churn and burn yeah. retail cash all day long. Customers, right. they know how to sell versus a CrossFit gym in which it's a it's a seventh for thought. It's not yeah. even the first six thoughts. It's totally. like, oh, yeah, but we also we got some of this on the shelf. Yeah. So we had some like really good customers, some loyal gyms and affiliates that were selling our stuff. But it was not like it was definitely more of like it was founded on the thought of I want to provide people with what I'm doing and I want to have some additional revenue streams in addition to like, you know, a CrossFit affiliate doing some personal training and a little bit of online remote coaching. And I sell some supplements. And so this is how like in my year four, five, six, seven of being a CrossFit athlete, I was like building a business and building my own, you know, my income and and trying to save money and plan for what was coming next. Yeah. I talk with a lot of guys who want to go the supplement route. Um, Who's the one athlete? His name is Nick Barr, B-A-R. Yeah. Yeah. So jacked ultra marathon runner guy oh, he's, he's got a he, hell of a supplement yeah and, he, and um his podcast is solid he, he's got a big supplement company beat i forget the name of it there are a lot of guys who want to get into that and there's no such thing i don't believe in an easy money i don't believe there's mm-hmm. any such thing as easy money yeah when did you decide to call quits on that i mean i was see see i never went like i never went full in on it like it was it was sort of i was full in on developing my coaching mm-hmm. business and um my cousin and my brother were all in on the supplement company until the point at which it was like, okay, this isn't supporting two, you know, incomes is supporting one income. Mm-hmm. So brother went back, got a job. I have this full-time job. My cousin's trying to operate this company and it really needed more support than that. And after like two, three years where it was like, okay, it's not going to grow into something. And I think my cousin was ready to just like take on something that he could really sink his teeth into. It's like, yeah, it's time to shut it down. I think there's a lot to be learned in in those instances of business ideas that they're they're certainly not failures by any stretch, but they they weren't home runs. They were like, they were a single, they were a bunt. They got you on the, they got you on base and allowed you to kind of get the feel it out. What would you say in in this world? Because again, like when you have a following and there's a lot of people who have amassed a following and you don't have a clear monetization structure. And the first thing in the fitness industry you think about is going to be supplementation to pitch. Even even as gyms, it's 
you know, it's funny. Uh, we'll talk about like uh, your Hermosi dinner and stuff like that. But Alex, one of his big things that he really did post gym launch when gym launch kind of I wouldn't say it hit a plateau and I'm not close enough to that business to know kind of where it was at but was installing supplements into the gyms because yeah. again it's just an area that a lot of people don't but if you go to any gold's gym I mean that's a foundation of their pro shop right kind of yeah. scenario what would you say to anyone who's amassed somewhat of a following and like the supplement thing would you say like dude don't even fuck with it like don't yeah. mess with it or like if you do you're gonna need to show up with a good chunk of cash to actually make a dent in this industry yeah, I think, um, I mean, I guess it depends on how, like, what kind of following we're talking about. You know, if you got, like, Liver King size following, then, you know, make a Liver King bar. And, yeah. you know, it's aligned with your brand and people are going to go for it. If you have a following that, like, trusts you and you believe in some supplements yourself, like, probably go the affiliate route and basically represent another brand that Correct. has the cash, has the infrastructure, is doing the thing. Don't do the inventory and bring it all in-house no, yourself. No, 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 yeah. for sure not. I think that that might be a really good way to go. You know, like nowadays, like I, I'm, I'm not going to touch going back into supplements, you know, unless there was a big change in our business down the road and we had, you know, a distribution channel like a bunch of functional bodybuilding gyms or something like that, which is exactly what, you know, the you know Alex did with, Prestige Labs Prestige, yeah. and Gym Launch. It was like, okay, you got thousands of gyms that are basically doing his uh, already trust you, know you, and pay. Yeah, you, so. and we and and you're wanting to support those gyms by teaching them how to make another revenue stream. It's like, hey, we got this this supplement brand. Yeah. But yeah, I would. And and then the the only other, I guess, the other thing is, you know, if you have something, which it's harder and harder to these days. But if you actually have something that's unique and that like, you know there's like a sort of an up and coming emerging supplement or compound that is like, you know, doing something for people. Like if you're just going to knock off another pre-workout or just do another, you know, way or like just don't bother with when you're going up against huge corporations that have yeah. massive spend and they're getting wise to like what the consumer wants in terms of quality. Like we came out at a time with, Revive RX, which was like, you know, in the CrossFit space, like wanting in a community that was kind of starting to demand higher quality foods and not really into the process, like, you know, filler ingredients, like it was hard to go to a supplement comp a supplement shop and find something that like aligned with the CrossFit sort of uh, community culture. It was like, I'm going to go buy a bodybuilding supplement for CrossFit. Like that didn't feel right. Sure. So, I mean, there have been brands that have Progenics. emerged from, yeah, Progenics yeah. had a great run that fell yeah. off, but yeah. you know, there've been other companies along the way that have done some good things in the CrossFit space. Now there's, um, you know, whoever he Heber and, uh, Mars are, you know, partnering with HWPO to like put whatever that brand is. Okay. There's Podium. Okay. Is oh, like yeah, yeah, that's right. Supplement yeah. brand, right? Podium, something. Um, so there, there's like, they're trying to really like own that space of functional, you know, functional fitness and CrossFit. Yeah. Thorn. Um, they partnered with CrossFit, I think, recently. Thorn yeah, supplements. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But see, Thorn was like, they, they're just like a super high quality brand that resonated with this CrossFit community and they just sort of came in, but they already had, had they already had their audience. Yeah, yeah. Through pretty much like being in, you know, every major sport and yeah. So anyhow, that, those are, that's my cautionary yeah. tale about, you know, jumping into supplements and, and nowadays like, you know, I've I've gone through 
at, at like post competitive fitness, you know, my supplementation regimen has just like, you know, it's, it's not as dramatic and I don't use as much. Like I don't, you know, take shakes every day and I'm not doing pre-workouts and I'm not doing the whole concoctions. Like I've got some like, you know, supplements I'll take as sort of a base nutritional support, but it's, it's like not the, this, the anchor point of what I'm doing. Sure. And this, I'm going to ask you this, and this is definitely going to be some clickbait for the, for some micro content on here, but going back to an individual you mentioned, is liver king on steroids? What's your take? <laughs> I mean, I, you had to guess if I had to guess. Yeah. I mean, it's my, my, the way I view the way I view individuals who may or may not be on steroids is um, my my first assumption for as long as I've been in fitness and coming up and trying to get strong and put on muscle was just like, whoa, that's impressive. What do I need to do to get better? So I because like sure. that's better than what I have right now, and I I've I've oh it's always inspired me to want to like. What what is this person doing that I could bring into my life that I'm that I'm not doing, you know? And I don't I, I've never gone to the uh, like steroids or drugs sure. or some shortcut first. And it goes all the way back to when I was like you know really naive and didn't know anything. And I was at the gym when I was 15 years old. I'm like, well, that guy's huge. Like, you know, watching him do his sets of incline press. I'm like, well, that's how I need to grow my chest to like basically choke my <laughs> yeah, exactly, out, yeah. Right? So I can't see my uh, apple. Yeah. Plus, like, I'm way. I've been. I've personally been very focused on all the things that I think Liver King has been promoting that are just really, you know, anybody can and bring into their life. Sound principles. Yeah. yeah sound principles of just, uh, you know, getting getting the best out of life. And what what's free out there for for our health and things that I've been talking about for a lot of years too. It's like, hey, you know, get good sleep, get sun exposure, eat quality foods, you know, move move around, like have good connections with the people in your life, like you know, create relationships. But it's just resonating a lot more with people, and they're actually like, yeah, they're buying his supplements, and they're also like going and walking barefoot on the ground and like getting in the sun each day and, you know, lifting heavy stuff. And it's like, well, that's, that's a win. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I, my guess to your response to the answer was going to be, you know, I don't know if he says he's not, he's not. Cause you get accused of shit all the time, right? Totally, you, yeah, yeah. you constantly get that. You get that all the time. Less, less so in the last like six to 12 months, but yeah. Due to repetition of you having like the consistency of like over the years, people are able to do the Google machine and go back and be like, Oh, he was, you know, again, skinny for the two years, maybe when he was off on his spiritual awakening and post, you know, <laughs> yeah, before yeah, yeah, med yeah. school. And then, oh, I see CrossFit. He's here. He's bigger. He's wider. And then do you think it's, it's that yeah. or do you think it's the repetition of you having to just drill in people's heads and the content that you put out? Um, I, to be honest, I, I don't know. I think it might be just the, the repetition of seeing like or the this, trolls this, have just moved on the liver king. They, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they're like, well, maybe this guy's not yeah. like these other people are way bigger. <laughs> um, I still have a few videos out there on YouTube that continue to get views of like, you know, like the before and after, like when I was competing versus mm-hmm. now. And, uh, you know, I did like a, a episode on like, you know, the, the, the thumbnails like it's got steroids on it. Like, yeah. and basically I was like trying to just give like a general story of like, Hey, this is how these changes have happened for me over the years. Cause I got questions like, Hey, you posted a picture of you 
competing in CrossFit in 2016, you post a picture now, like how much muscle mass did you, did you lose? Like what changed? What's your diet like now versus then? And like, I just, I made a video to like basically answer all the questions I got. And it did not occur to me that like the obvious thing that people were going to think as soon as they saw that was like, well, obviously you just went off steroids and that's why you're this size now. And I was like, how did I miss that? Like, yeah. I should have addressed that right there. <laughs> I didn't address it. It wasn't even on my mind. Okay, I'll make a follow-up video yep. where I basically say, like, hey, look, this is my experience in CrossFit competing. This is what I was capable of doing natural. Like, are there people using it? Clearly there are because there's been people getting popped in the last many years. If I had to, like, wager money that the majority of top people during my era of CrossFit were not on drugs and they were just we were just redefining what it meant to be like ultra fit in this particular way and we hadn't nobody had ever seen it before we were just like exploring a whole new world of like fitness and we're like oh i didn't know people could do that it's like yeah you actually can do that if you train like this and then if you train like this and do steroids like well maybe you can do this and that's maybe what we're seeing more these days i don't really know i mean i know there's been a lot of drug positive tests in the last like you know, build up to the CrossFit Games this year, but I don't, I don't follow it closely yeah, enough to I mean, know. It's just the nature of more money coming into the sport, and, and and that's just that's every sport out there forever and ever, forever. You know, yeah, trying to get an edge. That's just going to be the nature of the sport. Well, and I I also think it's like people are driven to get an edge in life, and there's the path of doing it with without enhancements. And if you're if it's early days in a new sport or a new business or a new any like you don't have to cut corners because you just can see like dramatic improvements by just doing the thing in CrossFit from tw I mean look at people what people were doing in 2007 at the games like that that level of fitness at the time seemed kind of mind boggling but it's like we had just scratched the surface on a, on a training methodology and getting people to train at a at a very high volume with you know, mixed modal fitness and the next six, seven years, like you didn't need to touch drugs to like, whoa, this is a really potent thing. You can just get better. Yeah. I kind of was in that wave of like, we were just uncovering new methods and pouring a ton of training volume and just dedicating our whole life and sacrificing everything. And as a result, we got fit, like super fit, and there was no need to cut corners. And then eventually that curve starts to flatten out where it's like, okay, now we've kind of done tapped. everything. Yeah, like it took it took a Rich Froney to take it to the next level, then Matt Fraser to take it to the next level. Now everyone's training like that. And it's like, okay, well, everyone's doing the same thing. Like how else do I get an edge? People are still de desire to be the best and sure. find the edge. And there's no like secret like, you know. I mean, I remember in 2000, like, 10 there was like the crossfit football maybe came out or something like that and people were like oh maybe this is the way to like strength bias and this is what's mm -hmm. going to get me better you know like nobody's coming out in 20 you know 22 with like the new secret to like sure. training for crossfit it's like no you just train a ton you build a massive aerobic engine you get strong as yeah. shit and then you just for who's, days yeah and, who's the most resilient yeah. and who has the right biomechanics like who's got the right levers and who's got the right you know basic body shape and size and that's kind of it yeah it's it's interesting you know i go back to even that liver king conversation i i i find myself analyzing how people use their megaphones these days and what gives someone an edge from a, a content standpoint and i look at a liver king and he checks all the visual 
whoa, what the fuck is that? What am I looking at boxes, right? The beard, short as hell, uh, jacked, tan, shirtless. And so I'm always looking at someone who's created a following or definitely has an online presence, and I'm looking at what is it about them that creates a megaphone? Because there are plenty of guys we can find on YouTube and social media right now that are talk about ancestral traits and mm-hmm. living closer to the earth and walking around barefoot. And yeah. And it's it's like those guys, you know, I picture them at home like, God damn it. I've been making videos and a podcast for four years and it never caught like this guy shows up. And, yeah. you know, why did that pop for him? For you, when you started making content, and you had to put yourself out there at such a scale. And it was no longer like the games level where like you were able to grab some photos that they took at the gate. Like you were able to reshare yeah. some of that in your head. Did you ever th- think about that and strategize? But OK, well, what am I going to do? YouTube's deep. Yeah, I've got a following. Yeah, people know me in this niche of the fitness industry. But yeah. what am I going to do to enhance my megaphone or create my own unique megaphone in that case? No, I never thought about it. I actually I like it wasn't probably until the last couple of years after we had built a very big following and a, and a fairly successful business that we started to think like what do we need to start doing with our content to try and like, you know, reach new people or, you know, reignite kind of the rapid growth that we saw in different at different time points. I think, you know, there were a few factors that just played into me having early success on social media, um, just some timing things. Uh, and I, I mean, not to say that it was all like good fortune, but there were a lot of, there was a lot of good fortune that came along with it. I think there was good, really good content that people resonated with, but it felt very natural for me to make. And it wasn't like very produced, you know, early on. I just had one kind of mission, which was basically document my own personal journey through becoming the best CrossFit athlete that I could be, but doing it with like, you know, what were considered amongst that community, like sort of fringe principles, like, hey, here's a guy that doesn't train, you know, the same way everybody else trains. He's not going 100% every day. He's talking about building an aerobic base. He's talking about pacing. You know, there's some thought in this design. And, uh, you know, that was a product of, like, the coaches I had at the time who were giving me this training. But, like, I was showing it in a way that basically explained, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And and then once I got out of CrossFit, I continued to, like, hold true to that mission, which was, like, I'm just going to document and share what I'm going through on the journey to be, you know, continue to be an athlete, but also build a business and be a father and, um, you know, look good and move well and basically do this for a long time because I, I fell in love with fitness before CrossFit, unlike most people at the time who just got introduced to weight training with CrossFit and that's what like grew their deep love for it. It's like, no, I was, I loved it before I knew about suffering in the gym. Like I knew about it when I like I loved fitness when it came to like coming in and working hard, but it wasn't about coming in and like trying to puke and like trying to max out my lifts. And it was like to come in and, you know, push against weight and build muscle and get on the stair climber and get my heart pumping. And like that was cool. And that was that felt great. And I I missed that. And I was like, how do I get back to just the love of coming in and working hard? But not the love of coming in and like beating myself to death for points and how do I show that to people and so that that all just like that just resonated I think with a lot of uh a lot of crossfitters who were like 
yeah, I don't really want to, I don't want to suffer every day anymore. I want to kind of feel good. And I still want to do this stuff because it's rad. You know, I, I know you're in that camp too. It's like, I want to push sleds. I want to yeah. lift weights. I want to, you know, jump on a box from time to time. I want to do cardio and weights at the same time. Like I want to do all this stuff, but I don't need to like win the race and go fast, faster than my teammate. As a, as a third party, like watching you and your content, you know, and that's kind of the vein I'm always thinking of. This is kind of how I always perceived your megaphone. The thing I always thought of when I watched your content. So I see, you know, YouTube, you start doing the YouTube and, you know, obviously YouTube's the platform people purposely go to watch. It's the only platform you don't have to put subtitles on, right? When I explain yeah. like content strategy to people, it's the only one people purposely go to the watch a video. Talking head videos historically do really well on YouTube. E, you know, even if we're talking a straight talking head, no cut up B-roll, nothing added over top of it. And Marcus always, I believe, was just this very, well, you're an alpha in competition and physically uh, people admire and want to maybe emulate this and you instantly garner their respect, just an authority the second, you know, your, work, your video of you working out shows up. But I always felt your megaphone was actually like this calm, steady, almost philosophical, stoic kind of approach you just took to it. Like your videos feel like a conversation. Like literally if I was paying you as a nutritional coach or a coach and I sat down and we we're having it, I feel like you were talking to me. I felt empathy, empathy coming through. And I've used you in examples for people who are trying to create an online presence. I'm like, here's some different personas mm -hmm. and people who've got a megaphone. I've, I've shown yours. I've even shown what Hermosi got on his. You know, I'm like, look at this. He's a, this guy's going to be a billionaire probably. He's probably going to be well on his way. Look at this video. What stands out? Like he's wearing a wife beater and like he's got a shitty acquisition dot hat on and he's got a breathe right strip over his nose and he looks like he's sitting in a closet. I'm like, does that look like the setup that a multi multi millionaire would have? I'm like no, right. I'm like that contrast alone is very intriguing and draws in. Look at you know Liver King you, doing push ups on the subway shirtless or you know lunging down you know uh, in front of the Liberty Bell with dumbbells in his hands. So I'm always looking at the megaphone as far as that goes. When you started creating content or what do you guys think about it? Is there's someone else out there making content you're like, I like the way they do it or it, it, it inspires me to think more about it because when you first turn on the camera, I agree. I bet you, you probably want just that this is just how I would talk. Like this mm. is you and me doing this. This is what we did at dinner last night. We just now yeah, have yeah, cameras yeah. on. Right. Do you ever look at anyone and be like, you know, that's a really good way to read. I like how he's done that. And then you download that somewhere in the back of your head. And so that when your red light comes on in your camera – you, you emulate because we all when we're doing something unknown, we all emulate someone else who's done it that we've watched to a degree. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think there are things that I. I feel like I do well in content and then there's there's areas that I I feel like I I need to look at others for inspiration. What are those? Um, well, there's a bit of like the storytelling about me and like my personality and my life like I have I think it was I think it's been hard to be uh you know a husband and a father and have like a personal life and protect that you know and not make it like you know uh as public as you know what's happening in the gym do you know if I have a, a rule on that? Like, hey, social media and us and the family, minimal? Or I mean, because I've seen videos of your wife and you working out. Yeah. I've seen pictures of the kiddos. But do you guys right. have kind of a, a no? Official... We don't. We don't have like a. We don't have like an official rule. Although it has been like, hey, when do I know you're like here with us, and when are you like on work? You know, and um, that's 
kind of been like a hard line to sort of, uh, you know, navigate because I, I know that when people understand me and like they get to know the person as much as the coach that has the power to build trust. And I think that I represent a lot of what our customers lives look like. I mean, people assume like, Hey, you're, you know, you're just this like pro athlete who's just training all the time. I mean, as I get further away from like my competitive years, there's maybe a little less than that, but I think there's this assumption. It's like, Hey, you're just a machine that's like in the gym all the time. And I'm like, well, no, it's like this morning, like, you know, I was up from one to two thirty with my daughter, you know, trying to get her to go back to bed. Then I was up at five o'clock, you know, getting the day started, packing them up, getting their lunches made, like making them breakfast, like, you know, getting them out of bed, dressed, you know, we're going on a trip this evening. I had to pack up some things in the car and my wife did a ton of packing last night. Then I'm like dropping them off early so I can get here. Like I haven't touched a weight. I haven't done any movement yet today. Like, you know, I had a little small breakfast. Like I'm just moving it through life in a way that a lot of people that we coach and we that subscribe to our our channel are moving through life too. I want to like showcase that, be like, hey, like I have this life in these uh, constraints and I still want to prioritize my health and I want to, you know, be selfish with my my fitness and my, my health and fitness so that I can also be the best dad I can be. So um, coming back to the question, it's like, who do I look to? It's like, I try and look to people who maybe have entrepreneurs, coaches in the space who also have uh, like, families and kids and be like, Hey, what are they doing? How are they, you know, navigating this, um, you know, showing their, their presence as like a person, like their personality on story, authentic ways. And then I also look at people that like, okay, I know this individual has nothing going on in their life except for business and themselves. They don't have kids. They like, this is not like who I am. They have a lot more time to like invest in this mm -hmm. process. You know, how are they coming across? What are they taking advantage of when they have additional time on their plate to develop content and to show the personal life? And so I'm not like, I, 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 don't, I don't have any specific names to sh shoot you with right now, but there definitely is um, something that I'm, I'm constantly looking, you know, to, to sort of show a little bit more of like the behind the scenes of like my life. That, Real life, yeah. That will, I think is, is, is quite relatable. And then does that mean that there's got to be then a conversation? Because I've I've seen content creators who have allowed, you know, uh, I'll use, for example, when Miranda and Julian allowed that, you know, had the, the vlog of her doing the at-home birth. And they kind of followed her through her pregnancy. I think it was the first one maybe. Um, and she did the at-home birth, you know, tub, the whole deal. To show the audience that behind the scenes a little bit more of the human side of like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I get bags under my eyes because my daughter, you know, is sleeping in the bed kind of yeah. scenario. Is that a converse? Is that something, you know, having to have a conversation with the family and be like, hey, I'd like to share a little bit of what we do here as well. What's on limits, off limits? I've always thought like I probably have some of the best conversations when I pick my daughter up from school where I have to use my dad brain. I'm having to use my business brain. I'm having to like sell her on ideas like half the time. Like, yeah. honey, we don't want to do that. No, you cannot punch that boy in the eye. Um, <laughs> I'm having to sell her on things. And then there's this other side of me. And I'm like, man, this would be so interesting because I bet you a lot of my people who watch myself just think that I, you know, I'm just, you know, I do this. I swear on camera. I do whatever. It's like there's this other side that I think connects all that. But it could be it's a really interesting third layer or fourth degree or whatever you want to call it for them to see. I think there's like this move in you know, social media and content creation towards like 
people really admiring and respecting just transparency about what what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Like it's so fun. To, you know, we already talked about steroids a bit and and PEDs, but I think what's what I'm finding to be so interesting is that like there really genuinely seems to be this like massive acceptance of like, hey, if you're doing something, just tell us, and sure. we're cool with that. You know, and I'm like, wow, that's really remarkable. That really is a shift from. 10 years ago, you know, and, and now it's like, I think that just speaks to people wanting to just, I just really want to know what's going on. I, they assume probably that they're educated enough and they're wise enough to like, okay, if, as long as I know the truth, then I'll pick out the things that I yeah. like, you know, I mean, people say that probably about Liver King, like, Hey, I don't care if he's on steroids. Like, you know, I like what he's doing here. I like what he's doing here. I like what he's doing here. And I'm still going to buy his supplements. It's like, okay, great. The transparency. I did a. I took a photo one time. It was um, on the left hand side. It was my prescription of Adderall. Then it was a vial of test sip, and then it was uh, a bottle of whiskey, and then the multivitamins or something I take. And I took a photo. I'm like, this is this is my entrepreneurial stack. Yeah, I've been on Adderall since whatever high school. Uh, I experimented with steroids in college heavily. Got up to like 215 pounds. Had a mohawk. For flag football, I was a god. I would destroy you in flag football up the D line. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but beyond that, it was uh, you know, and, and then that that just completely wrecked me. I it was did it under the guise of a doctor, and I remember him telling me he's like, "Hey, man, I get it. You're really into this anabolic chemistry." And I truly was. I thought that was almost the route for a moment in time. I thought I was going to go down, and mm-hmm. um, I really got into it. He's like, "But you know, you're going to get to your mid thirties at some point, or maybe later, maybe sooner." And, you're going to notice you do not feel the same and as healthy as you did. And you are, you, you, you poured kerosene on a fire that was already raging too early on, but you know, here you go. Here's your liver panels. Here's all that. I'll do, you'll do this. Make sure you don't fuck yourself up right now, Yeah. but it will long-term and it sure did. Uh, went down, I don't know. It was probably about like four years ago. I just, I mean, I used to be able to run 16, 18 hour days and it just unfaced. I mean, I was just like, and I always was just on tie, just whatever. And it yeah. crashed, sex drive crashed, energy crashed, creative mental clarity crashed, everything. And then when I got T-levels tested and, you know, down in the high threes and they brought me back up and that, that's been almost two years ago. And it, you know, so I remember doing that and being like, oh my God, I'm kind of embarrassed by this. Mm. And then putting it out there, it was just like, it, it was so it was good cool, because it's so out of my realm too. I'm I just talk business. Biz, business is all I talk. And then just that one little like personal anecdotal. Take a look inside my skeleton. This one of my yeah. skeletons in a closet was super interesting. Like just some of the conversations I had. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. this isn't me talking to a gym owner about you know comp plans. Mm-hmm. This is like someone who's like been hiding it from his wife because he's scared to let his wife know he's on TRT or something. I was like this. I mean like it was it was way it was again it was out of my lane. It's not that I would really dive into. I'd never, you know, obviously talking about it here. I'm not embarrassed to talk about it, but it's it's really interesting, like you said, the transparency and the vulnerability. Because yeah. that becomes the, in my opinion, that becomes the X factor. We all can make awesome three camera setup content and podcast and this and that, but the only real X factor at a certain point when everyone's making this level of content yeah. is that is like reality TV. That's why reality TV is so potent. Now, reality TV, I believe, is on the far end of the spectrum of bullshit you know, scripted just for the wow, the, the shock factor, but take a couple layers back. It's very authentic to see someone cry or, sure. you know, get into an argument or cheat on their boy or something, right? Like it's super authentic. People are just so drawn into the realness. Yep. Um, but yeah, well, no. uh, I mean, by the way, I remember when you posted that 
I, that oh, picture, okay. yeah, okay. Um, it's kind of stood out. It it stood out in my mind, and I've thought thought about it from time to time. And um, you know, on the on the personal transparency side of things, it's like I really, you know, you asked like, have I had the conversation with the family? Like, is that something that's on the table to discuss? And you know, it's 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 probably one of the areas that I have struggled with the most um, in the past really f- six years. My daughter's five and a half. Um, is that my business really started to, you know, take off five and a half years ago, six years ago, right around when she was born. And it was very, very much like this sort of like uh, linear, you know, side by side trajectory of, you know, social media growth and, and business growth, like revenue growth. And so I felt very tied to that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, as an entrepreneur, as a coach, as somebody who's like just trying to navigate the business world, like I think about it a lot and I'm, you know, I have, I have personal, you know, fears and anxieties about like, well, what if this, you know, what if this fails? What if this doesn't go well? Like, what's that going to mean for me as like a, a human, as a man, as a provider, as for my family, blah, blah, blah. So I will tend to like put a lot of energy and thought into that, uh, you know, more than is healthy. And and when I'm doing that as like a somebody who's probably pathologically like overthinking the worst case scenario anxiety is that I will not be as present with my people around me. Like I, it's like go into a little bit of a tunnel. I'm sure there's plenty of people that can relate to this. And that tunnel is like, you know, I'm, I'm less available. Like, Hey, you know, daddy, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Hold on one second. Like I'm just, my mind is somewhere else. Right. And so this has been like the work, the bulk of the work that I've done on myself over the past five years. Yeah. Have I gotten like lifting weights? I've been eating well, like trying to stay in shape. Sure. But like I spend the vast majority of my personal work on like this, you know, challenge that I face as a father and as a husband and as a business owner, when it comes to like separating these two things, that's where like the really showcasing my personal uh, journey and personal life through social media, through my, you know, with my family, that's where it gets really like blurry for me. Cause I'm like, Hey, the second the phone comes out, the camera comes out and there's a post that's going up. Like I'm switching into a business mindset, you know, on the one hand, it's like the more I can be relatable to the audience. I think the more that allows them to trust me and then ultimately let me help them and let us help them as a company. But you know, when I'm sitting there on a Friday night, like with the kids and we're having movie night and they have a friend over and we're just hanging out and I'm just like in the moment, I'm like, this is great. And then I have that moment of like, oh, is this something that needs to be captured and shared? Like I haven't been connected to the audience in a while. It's been hours since I posted something that that's, that's difficult. And it's like, I don't, I don't wish that upon anybody. Like, I don't want, I don't want to be, you know, watching sing too with my kids and being like oh you know maybe maybe it's like i gotta check the box yeah Yeah. let me check that box um megs meg megan my wife megs uh she'll will say like feed the beast it's like she's like what are you doing i'm like just feeding the beast like you know yeah and and i don't i mean that makes it sound like it's it's obligational it's a box checking thing like you know i was on my own for 
24 hours this week. I took a trip down to Las Vegas to go to this dinner. You know, when I'm by myself and I'm like not, you know, like I, I take plenty of time to just be present and be in the moment, but I'm also like doing a hundred percent more, you know, stories, you know, selfie talk, talking head to the camera, engaging with people. Like my, my Instagram content went up by like, you know, 300% in that time because I didn't feel this conflict of like, am I like taking something away from being with the people in my life? If I, I think it's like, I think it's a Gary Vaynerchuk video I saw, but it, the, the end point, the, the punchline was in order to be selfless in this kind of a world, you have to be selfish. Hmm. It's selfish and selfish, not only meaning like I've got to do the thing that makes, that makes money for the home, but it's also doing like, I have to be, I have to, if you love what you do and I'm making the assumption that you do. You have to do that because if you're you're miserable in doing it, if you're not happy, like imagine you had a nine to five job and you didn't love it, like a lot of people, maybe you're listening to this, do. When you come home, that that lack of happiness spills over into the family. And I, I remember when I was married, me uh, and my wife at the time would have this conversation, and I would always go with this. I'm being, you think I'm being selfish right now? In my head, I'm being selfish so that I can come here and we can do fun things and I can be selfless and I can turn it off when I come home. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not doing that, I've got to be all in. And the same thing, I would find that crossover, right? Okay, well, I'm supposed to be selfless now with the family, but there's these opportunities, moments, emails, communications, things that I need to just like, I want a Zach Morris timeout. I want everyone to freeze, right? And I just want to self go back to selfish mode yeah. and pump out that DM or whatever it may be. Or be like, oh yeah, I'll book that call. Sure. And it's, it is, it's, it's very difficult, especially now when our lives that we've created businesses online, that monster is insatiable and it's, it's open 24, seven, 365. And it's, it's this fire and it's like, oh shit, I haven't, I haven't thrown any kindling in the fire in a while, any logs in it. I need this to keep burning. Yeah. But I've, what I've found though too, is it won't go out. The fire wouldn't go out. Like if you literally didn't make a fresh post Right. If you had Nate or someone just kind of reschedule a you know a bunch of old posts that you made previously, nobody would probably know the difference that they are reruns for the sure. most part. And it won't go out. And that's something that's taken me a while to figure out. Yeah. Like um, I did it with our newsletter. I built up a newsletter after I got uh, YouTube ripped my took my entire channel down. Like seven hundred and fifty videos right. gone. I remember that and uh, that's when I was like, I need a, I need another vertical. I need somewhere else in case anything would ever happen. I at least have an audience built up on something that no one could take away from me. And, you know, an old school email list. So pumped out like 38 or whatever those weekly newsletters. And I stopped and I've gone 10 weeks without creating one in the first three weeks. That I didn't do it. I knew I just did not have the bandwidth with all this travel. It messed with my head. Like I yeah. am letting people down. I'm a fail. And guess what? Nothing bad happened. And actually in the 10 weeks that I haven't put out a newsletter, we've actually PR'd uh, revenue in, in what I do. And I'm like, well, that's, that's definitely not connected, but it's fucking interesting. It's sure. it just, but it's like, I was so scared that the fire was going to go out, yeah. you know? And it, and it's not, it's not, you can, you could take a complete sabbatical from content on one side, go do something else. Um, but I do, I feel like that's our golden handcuffs. They truly are golden. And these yeah. are champagne problems that we all have. Like if you have built a successful business online, yeah. but those are the handcuffs that you're, you're shackled to. It's uh, that's that scene from wedding crashers. Make me a bicycle clown, right? Like entertain yeah. me. What have you done for me recently? What's, what's <laughs> yeah. new? Keep feeding my dopamine so I can live vicariously through you or get my hit as I go through my story Rolodex. Yeah. The th- I mean, I, I resonate with a lot of the things that you just shared and, and just sort of that idea of like you know 
the difference between being selfish and selfless. And the story, though, that I think we tell ourselves, and and I'm, I guess we, I'm, I'm speaking about both of us, I'll talk about more about myself, but I think men, a lot of men in general, it's like, hey, I'm, I got to go and do this thing and provide, you know, like this is my like, you know, and, and to a certain degree, like, yeah, I've got to go and earn an income for a family. Um, but my wife works and she earns a good living too. Um, what does your wife do? She's a psychologist. Okay. Yeah. So she's got her own private practice. Um, but, you know, it's like, um, that's a story I tell myself. And so like, this is what I got to go do. And, and really like what my wife continues to challenge me on, and I've learned so much is like, if, 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 if I believe like providing, and, and I had this as a, as a child growing up, the, this sort of intuition is like, what do I, what do my kids want from their dad? Do they want, like, do they really care about the house, the, this, the, that, like the thing I'm providing, you know, or do they just want, you know, hugs, love, attention, care, empathy, like somebody who's just going to be emotionally available. And I get that like emotional availability doesn't like provide a roof over the head. Like it doesn't, but it is way more important to their life success than whatever I, whatever opportunity I can pay for, for them to go get. And so that's just this, that's the constant challenge that I'm, I, I think about all the time is that I am hardwired and driven to go and do this thing. And that's how I think I'm serving the people in my life. And there's this very real possibility that it doesn't actually serve them that well, that it serves them better for me to be less focused on this and more available in these ways for them. So it's, it becomes like, Oh, well maybe this is selfish in a way that's just purely selfish. Like sure. I'm just out here cause I love I, being a, I love being a, a coach. I love training. I love creating programs. I love, you know, building things and like that's what I'm just doing and I'm doing it for me. And so when it comes time to be present for family, like I do need to learn how to shut that off because it's really a that's my time. That's my thing to do for myself. So it's it's a I mean I'm you know I'm only learning and I, I know it's gonna be a long, a long path of learning. And I don't wanna get five more years, ten more years down the road, which I know will happen, and look back and be like, ah, I wish. I wish, you know, like it's it's going to happen. Like I will absolutely look back in 10 years and be like, probably should have done it differently. But this is the best I can do now as a dad and as a business owner and as a coach and all those things. I think about that. I think about the expense of fatherhood. And now the expense to me is the cute little things. They want snugs. Like if I play Play-Dohs with my daughter for 10 minutes, yeah. she won the lottery. She loves it. Not that it's so rare, but like in the moment she is happier than yeah. anything. I yeah I have got a townhouse the mailbox is down and around and uh, I've got an electric skateboard and I'll just ride it down to the you know down the streets of the mailbox letting her ride with me there and back she goes insane like I've made her weak as she gets older she's gonna want to go to that two week six thousand dollar volleyball camp she's mm -hmm. gonna want to go on that summer trip with her friends to whatever like yeah. it's like now being a dad isn't monetarily as expensive like kids are expensive but it's yeah it's time and energy and it's like and it's like it's being silly you know it's like taking me from like business brain to like getting down on all fours and i'm pretending i'm a dog because we just got done watching homeward bound for the first time yeah and she wants to play play you know role play or whatever sure 
And so I'm like, okay, enjoy this now because as she gets older, the expense changes. It's going to go from this experiential type of expense. It's adorable. Yep. It looks great on camera to, hey, dad, I'm going to the movies with my friends. Can I have 20 bucks? Yeah. You know, I need a car. Like it's 20 gonna, bucks. Yeah. The time she's going to movies on her own is going to be 40 bucks for a ticket. <laughs> yeah. If there's, if she's still going to the movies yeah. back the next, uh, when that happens. She's going to put on some goggles and she's going <laughs> to be, gonna be, be with her friends in the meta the, yep. at some movies. She's going to be like, this is great. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, so you're down in Vegas. Uh-huh. And I saw you, you went in, uh, you got to meet with Alex uh, and Layla Hermosi and yeah. with their, their new venture acquisition.com and sit there. And so this dinner was for businesses that are doing 3 million or over and potentially could partner with acquisition if selected or however that works. Uh, and their goals, I think their tagline is 3 million to 30 or whatever their kind of yeah. thing is. How did you first, how did Alex first get on your radar? You know, yeah. did you experience it when he was, I mean, obviously on mine uh, from the gym launch scene, the services they provided the gyms, that's where it first hit. Yep. How'd they first get on your radar? Yeah. It goes back to, to the gym launch, um, probably in 2019 or 18 was when I first started to see like the ads pop up. Did you ever utilize those services? You know, I investigated their services. I mean, this was when we already had like our individual design business and we were really growing mostly our remote coaching individual design business or like personal coaching business. And I was curious. I was like, huh, I wonder if something about the the gym launch model could support what we're doing both in like the in-person, but just generally like, you know, grow our individual design gym, but also maybe add... Uh, customers to our remote coaching business. And so I, I did, I went through like their sales pipeline and ended up not pulling the trigger on it. Cause I was like, Hey, you know, I, I just, I don't think this is going to really suit what we're doing. Cause we weren't the type of gym specifically that they were like, I guess had been working with, you know, were you financially the- starving? At that we time. were not financially starving. And you were not the right gym for a gym launch model. That's exactly the, <laughs> again, I joke around that, that six week challenge. It, I don't use it like using the word praise, but their their ideal customer is someone who is physically starving, emotionally self esteem starving. They want to yeah. lose that twenty pounds in six weeks. It's worth so much to them to do. Yeah, and it's just the inverse. The marketing is to the gym owner who's I need two thousand more dollars, twenty thousand more dollars. I'm financially starving. And it's sure. just very interesting when you look at the parallels of the two marketing plays there. Yeah, got um, it. Anyhow, so they yeah. came on came on the radar at that point. But it was actually really, um, you know, Ryan Fisher who. I've known for quite some time. We had like met, I I don't know exactly what year, it was like 2017. He came here to do a podcast and then we connected at like the games later, like a year later. And he came up here for another visit. He was like coming through San Francisco and he had just, I think we did like a, I don't even know if we did a podcast. We just hung out. He was in Texas interviewing Alex at his, at his home and that's when he met him. And then he flew here. It was like shortly thereafter he was here. And he was like, oh, yeah, I was just down in Texas with this guy. His name's Alex, like really bright. Like I was like, cool. So I like started really like poking around and like, what's this guy about? What's he doing? And I think from that point forward, I was like very, you know, started following him on social media, just seeing whatever he's putting out. He didn't put out a ton of content, you know, at that time. Um, the content really seemed to pick up like during the pandemic. Yeah. And I was just paying attention. And, and then when when he really, like, launched the uh, YouTube channel in, like, a bigger way to sort of start to provide, like, the free, you know, sort of business uh, content, business education, entrepreneurship content, 
I really was just like, oh, I'm super intrigued. And then just been really tracking that a lot. And, and then recognizing that Layla played this really big role in their companies and that she had her own perspective and point of view, which I was like, so, you know, pumped to like learn about and, and, and follow her content. So that was just how that kind of unfolded. I mentioned, you know, I had Alex on the podcast twice. He was gracious to come back after I had a, a recording error and might be, you know, with Alex, it's funny you mentioned the content kind of turning on in, in the pandemic. Alex was always, I think, very much a, a student of like Dan Kennedy, direct sales marketing, direct sales response, you know, type businesses. And and, and those whole like concept of branding and like and putting yourself out there. I think I've heard himself admittedly say like, yeah, I've kind of ignored a lot of that and then realize how important. And there's such long tail ROI to this whole thing. It's it has been interesting. I'm glad he's been uh, creating the content. I think a lot of the stuff he makes and he says is obviously it's very it's helpful. It's nice because it's very agnostic. Even though he's in a, he's a great example in my opinion of someone who was so niched into a corner, and then was able to within a couple of years of content completely rebrand themselves. So mm-hmm. they're no longer the gym saving people yeah. type scenario. And that's yeah, I think it's so hard. So many of us get pigeonholed in something some of us you know all these little ecosystems that spun off from crossfit you kelly starrett nc fit street park any of these brands in person online whatever they all kind of you know grew from this crossfit sun and then spun off and they become their own solar system yeah it's hard you don't want to get pigeonholed like i you know part of me thinks you know i was talking with uh, jim crawl about this i think that's one of the reasons whoop wanted out of sponsorship of crossfit i think they you know that might be one of the reasons that they don't want to get pigeonholed in this one specific niche type scenario when you think of functional bodybuilding i made the criticism that crossfit isn't um it's its own brand but at the gym level it's more of a genre it's more of a genre in the fitness industry do you want to get functional bodybuilding to the to the level to where it is an understood genre? So when people are like, oh, I think they're doing functional bodybuilding, and to the what that means that comes with it, the consequences that there's going to be people ripping it off and calling it their own thing and yeah. functional hit bodybuilding training and all these yeah. variations which probably already exist. Yeah, they do. A lot of them exist. I I I mean, it's certainly not there to the degree that CrossFit is there, but it's becoming more and more. A, a genre and you know i i think we i started calling it functional bodybuilding in 2016 or 2016 2017 right around that that winter you know when i looked up urls or like not urls but i guess urls yeah. but also like instagram handles there was like one one functional bodybuilding out there it was like and maybe another like i, I don't know like and they were quiet accounts people weren't posting anything it was like kind of like true bodybuilders that just like trained like with you know better technique sure. and full range and maybe added in some plyometrics and some other things and I was like okay cool like this has obviously been around for some time people have been using this term but it really hasn't caught on and I think now you have seen tons of people come out of CrossFit who are like starving for some bodybuilding back in their life and you know nc fit's got a bodybuilding kind of program you know ryan fisher's got all of his programs that very much like like you know bridge this gap combine Um, compound with isolation and the whole yeah yeah. um you know i know like you're gonna go down south and interview uh lori christine king Mm -hmm. and she's got like the paragon training method like they've got plenty of bodybuilding stuff in there it's like it's just, I even think 
I've seen stuff in HWPO. It's like looks like that looks like just sure. functional bodybuilding, and um, so I think it's really happening. And yeah, I guess the the consequence is that like okay, there's going to be all these different options for people. I think it's good. It's a great know? thing. Yeah, yeah. I, and I I think that you're going to start seeing more. We're seeing it happen already, but like the model of what the gyms look like, the globo gyms, even the micro gyms, it's like you got to have a little bit of both. You got to have a functional area and some machines and some bodybuilding stuff. You know, that's what people, what they want. I, no one's cracked the code on like how to deliver that in a, you know, a cost effective way that works with like, you know, the operational costs of like the space. But it's like you've been in the gym where you're like, man, this place has turf. It's got a badass like rig and it's got all these sick machines and yep. it's got all this stuff. Like I want to be at that gym. Like yeah. obviously that's what we built here. Like this is this is the playground, you know? Like do I wish I had another 2,000 square feet to just stack a bunch of other cool, you know, bodybuilding equipment and functional? Yeah, I wish I did. <laughs> like it's it's a playground. I was thinking about it literally on the the Uber over here is about the genre about with functional bodybuilding. So you couldn't get functional bodybuilding one word dot com. That was already gone. You guys got the hyphen, right? That's right. Do you guys try to buy it at any point or like reach out? Um, I can't recall if uh, we did. Um, I'm sure we did at some point. And it might have just been like, oh, that's pretty yeah. expensive. Like, like when you say there was that. no handles that had been taken, like in my head, it's like that's like one of those ideas like uh, – I always joke around with people I'm like I've got a million dollar idea that I just selfishly want black chalk, black chalk so the gyms don't look dirty as much anymore. Someone please come up with black chalk tomorrow. Take it, million dollar idea. It's just one of those dumb moments where you're like, why the fuck didn't I think of that? They like functional bodybuilding for like two words that just like, oh my god, just like the yeah. SEO factor alone is just incredible. But when I think of like we talk about genres, like do we want, do you want functional bodybuilding to become a genre? Yes, but it's like. But we're also we have our own recipe of this specific genre, yeah. and with all the ripoffs, and again, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it just again, when you be when you have a great idea, it's gonna have spinoffs. That's just yeah. the, the natural process. You want no matter what, everyone's like, oh, that's like Marcus's functional yeah. stash. Like you want that, which is bodybuilding doesn't have that. Bodybuilding's a genre. No one's like, oh, that bodybuilding, yeah, but that's not like bodybuild like it's not there's no yeah. attached thing because it truly just always stayed a genre yeah but now with the internet crossfit is a genre but it can be tied back to a very specific fitness methodology when we think about functional bodybuilding is that kind of how okay that's fine people are going to make their own version of what i've created and what i've kind of you know spun off here but i wanted to always get pointed back like oh but that's that's like what they do what marcus does yeah i think that that's that's definitely part of our conversations internally it's like yeah, let's get more, more people are going to start doing this. And we just want to basically like as much as we can own this category. Be the sun that those yeah, planets orbit right? around. I think it's going to force us, it's forcing me to like really think, you know, yeah, we have a way of doing it, but that needs to evolve too. Because, um, you know, once upon a time it was like people wanted CrossFit with a, like a little dose of bodybuilding. And now it's like, we want bodybuilding with a little dose of CrossFit. Like, this is sort of the pendulum is, is shifting. I mean, I'm going to stay committed to, like, well, it's really a hybrid of both that makes people feel feel good when they train, feel functional. We can talk about what that means. But just, like, I can use my body the way I want to use it, and I can do cool stuff. And uh, But I also look 
jacked. I look good, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's it. And so there's, there are clearly training principles that really allow you to look good and get the most out of resistance training so you can look jacked, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I was scrolling through Instagram last night. I heard you uh, a clip that you had up there. It was like, you know, those years that you spent just like doing everything in your power to get better at overhead squats so that you could snatch better. And your like takeaway was like this. I never thought once that like an overhead squat and a snatch was going to get me jacked. I just knew it was like the way to get a better snatch. And that's true. It's like, if you want to get bigger legs, if you want to build good shoulders, like we've got these methods that are much safer and approach more approachable so that you can push the intensity required to build your shoulders and build your legs. Yeah. But if you like the idea of snatching because it's fun, explosive, challenging, you know, like it, it makes you, it get, makes you feel accomplished, like, which I do like then, here's how we can approach doing that in a way that's not going to just like punish you forever and ever and ever and make you have to go to, you know, a dry needling appointment (laughs) three times a week, you know, and we'll be honest, like maybe you shouldn't even be snatching, but we can do this kettlebell flow and this kettlebell snatch work. And we can do this other, you know, or we can teach you how to clean or we can teach you how to do, you know, something else. Or we can, we can learn things like gymnastics movements that are a little bit higher skill that are not going to pay off huge and build massive quads. Like you learning a pistol progression is not the way to get, you know, quad sweeps. Like let's go do something yeah. else. But if you love that and a lot of people do and they want to have they want to have something that like keeps them engaged and challenged and feeling the variety, like that was what people I do believe loved about CrossFit was the variation that it was like it just gave them something that challenged them, but the moment they spent 40 minutes of their precious 60, you know, a day trying to like improve a skill and not get a pump and not get like sweaty. They were like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to just do PVC pipe snatches for 30 minutes. Like I got 60 minutes to go in and, and feel fit. Like give me 45 minutes of sweat of resistance. And yeah, let me sprinkle in something that's, you know, different and challenging and, you know, makes my brain actually like have to work. Now that I get to sit on the sidelines of someone else's CrossFit gym and I do open gym and I watch, I'm able to see through a lot of what I, going back to you, I don't think there's anyone in the group fitness setting that's like, snatching is great because it's explosive and powerful. And even if they're an ex-collegiate athlete, I don't know if that's always the thing that does it. I think early on, it was weird looking. No one else was doing it. And even if I just did it with a 10, you know, I did 65 pounds on the bar and I had a video where I was able to show someone I'm still, I'm in a freak category. Like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I've never seen that. A muscle up. Even if you had this really shitty one that you would never, like a, a my first muscle up, I would never have aired. Nobody would ever publish that video if that's what theirs look like. But back then, I showed everybody my Blackberry video, right? <laughs> because I was a freak in 2006. Um, but now I look at those movements like snatching. Why does one in a group fitness setting want to get better at snatching overhead squat? It is social currency for that immediate population. If yeah. you can snatch whatever better, you are better, you are cooler, you are looked at. And it's one moment in time yeah. that you're not a square in a Zoom call. You're not just the dad at home and the husband. Like you're you're somebody for a second in a moment in time. Like, oh, that's Ben. Ben's got a fucking killer snatch. Yeah. The guy kills it. And everyone, you know, on snatch day wants to see what Ben's going to do. That type of thing. And- But 
the thing that's always funny is I'll walk around the gym and I'm working out and, you know, shirt off or whatever. The real social currency, when we really boil down to it, for being in the gym is how you look. Mm -hmm. Right. How you look is ultimately the social currency that exists. And just basic what any fitness professional would know, just we're, we're not going to look better with the snatching and overhead squatting. Yeah. So like, would you really for that one workout a week that is a snatching overhead squat, Ben, would you rather be the man then? Would you rather just look like the man fucking every day of the fucking week? And then overhead squat might be sacrificed in the process. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's that's sort of how I like started uh, r approaching program design. You know, even like in the last three, two, three years that I was like programming at my CrossFit affiliate before I sold it, I was like, what, you know, what are the movements that people need to be doing? How do I pack more work into an hour for people? You know, this idea of like, you know, the the whiteboard says we're doing 21.59 and that's it today. Like 45 so, reps is not enough volume. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and. And there was pushback from people who were like, when are we going to do this snatch? When are we going to do this? Like, when are we going to do the benchmark workouts? And I'm like, you know, I know it's like hard to shift that mentality because that's what brought you in. That was what gave you like the first initial buzz. But you came here because you wanted to like look better, feel better, like have good energy. And, you know, I'm more and more confident than I ever have been that this doing these like skills, these higher skill lifts, like is not what's going to get you there. And it's definitely not going to get like 90% of my members there who don't have any business doing that right now and really have no desire to like put in the time and energy to acquire the skill to do it in a way that could, you know, like, hey, look at Olympic weightlifters. Like they're pretty jacked, yep. you know, many of them are look phenomenal and I wouldn't mind having those physiques, but that's, you know, a lifetime of, of doing lifting and predominantly the body composition changes that they're experiencing are coming from heavy ass squats and heavy ass pulls, which we can do. We can go squat and we can go do deadlifts and, you know, we don't have to do the snatch to like build big legs and, uh, you know, st strong upper back. Do you get a lot of people reaching out to you saying, I'm switching over my group programming model to more functional bodybuilding. I am getting the feedback. Why are we doing more kipping handstand push-ups? Why yeah. haven't there been any more three-minute friends? Those kind of things. Yeah, no, I I mean, I I don't get the like I don't get the people asking, like, hey, I'm getting pushback on these things. How do I handle so, it? Yeah, so much anymore. I do get the feedback. It was it's been a couple of years since that the heavy swing of that came in, which was like, hey, you know, we're switching over to more of a functional bodybuilding, you know, how, how can I learn from, from you about sure. how to do this better? Um, which sent me down the rabbit hole of like, okay, how can I create like an education system for people and like get them doing method, you know, our method and our functional bodybuilding programming. But now it's just like a lot of people want to go that route. And I don't know that they're running into the challenge of like people demanding like the, the, the three minute, you know, high intensity workouts and the high skilled movements uh, because they're just like maybe a lot of those people turned out already or they're gone like they just have a whole new audience of people that are coming in that are like I don't know anything about all that stuff yeah like they're, just, they're fresh they're unicorns you can yeah. paint the canvas for them totally I get see I, that's that's something I've done a ton of especially when I did it when I went from CrossFit South End gutted that operating system and installed got rid of CrossFit installed uh, our group tempo training model that was you know, 40 plus people overnight, just boom, and then a, a heavy trickle effect afterwards. So I'll get that question is, 
how do I deal with something? Like I found a new unique belief in fitness that I like. I want to replace my old one. However, yeah. that's what I've been serving everybody. And I, I always relate it back to fitness and fashion. Has There's some similarities. And what you can learn from fitness and fashion, Jinko jeans. Do you remember Jinko jeans? Sure, yeah. Absolutely. None of us, even prior to Jinko jeans. I always wanted a pair of those, but they were like too aggressive. <laughs> and I, I was like. My mom would like, absolutely like, yeah, not. let's get something else. No, yeah, Jinko jeans and a chain wallet and the whole yeah, deal. If any of you guys aren't familiar cool. with Jinko jeans, just go ahead and Google that real quick. Um, <laughs> you, but that was fashion and it wasn't around until it was. But the thing that made it present was the volume of people doing it. So I always look at like even now, like go back six, seven years ago, eight years ago, would we be wearing five inch inseams? No. Not as much. Nope. Remember like and one like basketball, you'd wear the basketball shorts, sure. you know, right over the middle of the kneecap to even below the kneecap. Yeah. So if you want your new fitness, you need new unique belief in fitness to take hold, it's about volume. Because nobody, just like in fashion, nobody follows a trend unless they see other people doing it. Yeah. And unless they can perceive that person is, oh, they look good in that. Yes. And a lot of people are doing it. I'm gonna do it next. So I'll always try to, you know, at a broad level, try to coach but I'm like we need the mavens in the gym people that are the influencers to really fall in love with your unique belief in fitness if they yeah. don't do it you've got a you got a big struggle on your hands yeah but if you can it's going to be like fashion it's going to be like one of these things where people are like oh that's kind of weird but kind of cool and they look good doing it and then yeah. it just it's a psychological just like just boom one by one by one they just kind of all follow in but i always think about that trying to change the tides inside of a gym when they're changing their their unique belief in fitness and switching over you just got to think of it how fashion trends come and go it yeah. all results in can i get a volume of people doing it and can i make those people look good or be perceived to look good in this new style yeah absolutely yeah it's it's interesting and i to watch the evolution of what we do in the group fitness setting it has been a lot of fun i've i've really enjoyed it and we talked about it at dinner last night i really think this online thing though is is truly what a lot of brick and mortar gyms are going to experience quote unquote problems with because mm -hmm. they have their one set way of doing it so it's one recipe for everyone i mean think the idea of creating a workout for 25 people is somewhat insane be like me hey marcus uh 26 people are coming over to the house you and megs can you make a meal you'd be like yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa what what are they allergic to what do they like what did they eat yesterday all the things right sure i'm gonna make this meal 20 percent are gonna hate it 20 percent are gonna say it's the best thing ever 60 percent are gonna be like yeah it's okay you know right. i'll eat it you know you know when i think about functional bodybuilding and the it's you know from a business perspective do you guys see the infiltration do you do you guys believe that your product infiltrates brick and mortar at some point and that at, you know if we keep doing this the natural evolution is that people are going to go to their brick and mortar gym and say do more of this stuff are we going to have circuit and emails of people like hey i'm getting enough requests about your shit like i you know I, how can i install it in my thing like do you see that being a growth vector or do the, do you believe those people just leave the gym because they don't they're not going to be able to convince that owner to adjust and, you know, adopt a, a new unique belief in fitness. Well, I mean, even if a gym owner is going to adopt this method of training, like, you know, they have to, they still have to answer that question. How do I like write a workout that's good for everybody? You know, whether you're doing CrossFit workout or you're doing, you know, this Orange Theory workout, it's like, it's just the workout that everyone's doing. Are there certain approaches to training that, are more suitable for, a, you know, you're going to hit, like, rather than just having 20% of the people love it, you might have 50% of the people love it, and then 30% are going to be, like, satisfied and 
like how do we shift some of those percentages? So the challenge would still be there for functional bodybuilding. It's still there for us. It's like we deliver an online training program. We have a lot of people that do it. It doesn't hit the mark for everybody. It hits the mark for this percentage really well. And how do we continue to like, you know, expand how well it reaches, you know, this audience? What we have over a brick and mortar gym is that we just have a, a bigger audience, a bigger distribution channel. Like we're not just serving a local audience. We fortunately can serve the worldwide audience, anybody that's got an internet, you know, and that's allowed us to, to grow, you know, to bigger heights than we could have ever with just our, our sure. ID gym. So it's, it's really like about for the brick and mortar gyms, the owners there and for, for us and what we're really committed to is like, we got to teach our customers as we go. You know, you, I, I see the, the content that you put out on programming, on tempo training, and, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's always like a, this is how I'm doing it, this is why I'm doing it, and these are like, you know, here are some of the core principles, and then somebody can go and make it their own, right? And that's really what needs to be happening in these gyms for them to kind of win this battle of like, Someone comes in, they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not really feeling that. It's like, okay, well, here's how you can adapt it. Empower and allow autonomy in the program. Yeah, precisely. Um, people, I think, still value having a structure, you know, uh, and a structure that's not like, hey, on Monday we're doing intense Fran, and on Tuesday we're doing a five-by-five, five, and on Wednesday – no, they, it's like the, the structure is you come in, you prep your body, you do something that's like – somewhat heavy and compound then you do some accessory work isolation work and then you condition or you show them three formats for how to do that differently that incorporate just like the principles of like hypertrophy range of motion speed and power and aerobic energy system work like you show them how to do that and they see it enough ways that they're like okay like that's the workout today but i'm going to I'm going to adapt it this way or that's the workout today, but you know, that's the performance workout today, but I'm going to do more of the body comp workout today. And they have, they have options yeah. that are not like, yeah, today I'm going to go do yoga tomorrow. I'm going to go do this tomorrow. I'm going to do that. That are not connected. There's no, I mean, look, and that's not to say someone can't choose fitness like that. Like, Hey, get moving. Great. I, I did yoga today. I went for a hike tomorrow, lifted weight the next day. It's like, if that's working for you, awesome. If someone's following a training program because they want to actually have some measurable results or they're like looking to, you know, build muscle mass or this is, they want something that's consistent. It's like then lay out a, a path for them to do that where within that path, they can maybe choose a different bias that doesn't take them completely out into something different that keeps them seeing, you know, results overloading, you know, getting better in a particular method. And that's what I want people to see with functional bodybuilding. And that's why I love the, the, the term and how I said, like we evolved from people wanted CrossFit with a little bit of bodybuilding. Now they want bodybuilding with a little bit of CrossFit. It's like, I'm using those terms because we can discuss them, but that's kind of what our program track options look like in functional bodybuilding. We've got perform, We've got pump, we've got pillars. And so when someone signs up, it's like, well, what are you feeling like? They answer some questions. Like, I really want to look good. You know, it's like, go to pump. Pump is where to be. Like, you're going to hit these movements. You're going to hit them in this way. We're going to get a little bit of like 
you know, functional conditioning mixed in there that's going to build in some accessory work. It's going to get your heart pumping. It's going to get you to, you know, maybe swing a kettlebell, but like you're doing this. It's like someone comes in like, hey, I love CrossFit. I'm just feeling a little beat up and I just want to slow things down, like kind of heal some stuff. Like, hey, come and do perform. Like you might, you're going to see a power snatch. You're going to see a clean. You're going to see a muscle up potentially you might have a workout with kipping toes to bar mm-hmm. you know but we're also going to be doing cossack squats we're going to be doing atg split squats we're going to be doing you know unilateral single arm dumbbell bench press we're going to be doing like these other movements that are probably going to feel new to you sure and they're going to have a great balance to that so that that to me is like that's the ultimate model you know for how i'd want somebody to be able to come into a gym and just be like yeah sweet like i'm i do functional bodybuilding but today i'm feeling this and that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna choose this option and i know enough to know that like we're doing you know a superset uh the workout today's workout the fbb workout of the day says we're doing superset of clean grip deadlift with a strict bar dip and we're gonna do them every minute on the minute we're gonna alternate we're gonna do you know, six to eight reps of each at this tempo. And you know what? Like, I'm just not feeling dips today. Like, my shoulder's a little wonky. So I'm just going to go do a strict press, Mm -hmm. you know, with the dumbbell. And I know enough to know that that's what I got to do. And they just do it. And the coach is like, hell yeah, that's great. You know, it's like, I don't need to, like, scale it for you. I don't need to, like, tell you, like, you know, hey, my shoulder's feeling a little weird on the dip. It's like... Oh yeah, just go do some sit-ups. It's like what the? F- that's yeah. totally not what we're, you know, you you're struggling to get into a dip position today. But like, you can press fine. Like, let's press. Let's keep it a similar movement pattern. Let's keep the intention of this training the same. So that would be kind of, you know, how I think functional bodybuilding and how we'd want to teach people over time. It's like, how do you deliver functional bodybuilding in a body composition focused like hypertrophy? format how do you deliver functional bodybuilding you know in a performance-based setting where people who want to do a little bit more functional training can but they're not going to just trash their body this is how it looks you know teach gyms how to do that and then they can either deliver their own programs or they can just deliver our programs and know how to coach people and know how to basically guide those customers to the right fit for them on any given day And it's okay that everyone's not doing the same thing. This, we talked about this last night. It's like, you know, the, the camaraderie and that feeling of like that bond that people felt, I think got associated with like, we feel this because we're all doing the same exact thing in the gym. And I just always pushed back against that because I was like, I've felt bonded to people and connected to people in the gym when we weren't doing the same workout at all. Yeah, it was nice to like, you know, do an AMRAP with somebody and we're all 10 people doing the same 10 minute AMRAP and that was cool. But like I trained for years where I had like, you know, buddies at the gym and I was high-fiving people and I would like, you know, say, hey, nice lift. And sure. we weren't doing the same thing. And especially during like competitive CrossFit days when we'd go to training camps at OPEX, like we were all doing different stuff. And, but we were all, you know, super excited to be in the same room and, you know, feeling inspired and like, I'm going to push myself, you know, because that person's just looking at me. Like I don't, they're not doing the same exercise. So anyhow, that's, that's sort of my take on like how, how FBB could infiltrate brick and mortar. Uh, 
but there's a lot of steps that have to happen to like educate the consumer and not just be like, oh, you know what? We're not doing this workout anymore. We're doing the functional bodybuilding workout and there it is. And everyone get in line. It's like, you're going to run up against the same issues. Yeah. You know, people are going to probably feel maybe a little bit better. My argument would be that they'd feel better. They might look better doing this and that might just quiet some of the, you know, complaints. It's like, oh, I look jacked. Like, okay, well. I'm going to keep yeah. doing this. And that process we know takes so long. And I think that's it. You know, the, the changeover for a gym owner from one program to the other at the macro level is so abrupt to the customer. Whereas the long, the results of the benefits of that won't be experienced anytime soon. Right. Yeah. The, the abrupt volatility of like, whoa, 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 whoa. We were eating burritos and now I'm eating hot dogs. That's like you switched the menu on me without even, you know, without really right. a heads up. And it's, I've always just found the only way to do it is you have to, you got to plan ahead of time. Like if you just decided today, listening to this podcast, you want to switch to functional bodybuilding, I tell you, cool, set yourself up on like a six to 12 month plan to slowly, uh, let's use the word, um, brainwash the customer. You brainwashed them when they first came in. They never in their life thought they were going to take their <laughs> yeah. hands this wide and hold the barbell. So exactly. you were able to exhibit influence previously. You can do it again. It's just, it's a steady, just drip of changing their minds. Yeah. I always tell the story like when I, uh, when I, I was over barbells dropping in the gym, mm -hmm. I was over it. Yeah. Uh, from a sales perspective, I was having such a hard time doing tours and selling prospects. Mm -hmm. Crash, crash, crashing. And then, God, I remember those too. It's like, oh, oh yeah, d d don't worry. You're not going to be doing don't that. Don't worry about on your that. Yeah, yeah, day. yeah. Like, don't worry about this oh, crazy, abrupt 400 oh decibel God. shit show that's happening right it's now. It's the tours and like the, the new prospect is like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, uh, just. It's like if you Look ever taken someone to a gun range for the first time and just like every pop is just like it because they're not used to it. And it's very, I mean, they can't focus on being in a, in a, buying customer mindset at that point yeah. their their adrenaline's up fight or flights maybe kicking in it's uh. it's a whole thing but you know we we were like okay guys i don't want them dropping it because of a business reason but i also believe that a lot of them are dropping a 95 pound barbell when they can clearly get 225 pounds over their head and they're doing it just so they could go faster and i think it's fucking obnoxious so install this eccentric fucking requirement for the next 12 weeks guys and because i believe that if we essentially lower the barbell back down to our shoulder over the course of x amount of seconds we're going to see improvements in our pull-ups as well, right? I think I can translate that over and, and retest mm -hmm. pull. So, like, it just slowly educated me. Like, oh, yeah, that worked. Okay. And then just, like, it's just breaking little beliefs left mm -hmm. and right kind of scenario. But to get to the, you know, the business of what you've done, and, you know, we talked about you went to the Hermosi thing. So, and do you mind talking numbers? I mean, obviously, you guys are doing, you know, $3 million or over to be able to get invited by Hermosi to come sit at that dinner. Do you, do you mind they sharing? Didn't, they didn't ask for P&L. No. At least. So, so they just took it on your word? <laughs> they took it on your word. <laughs> yeah, they took it on our word. Um, yeah, so. How, how are you guys doing? Like, what is, what do you, what, what's, what are you guys doing in revenue annually uh, as, again, a, a small, bit, technically a small business? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I can give you kind of, uh, you know, we have different business lines for sure. Mm -hmm. um, all of it's functional bodybuilding. We have a, individual coaching service that we offer. So that's kind of the higher ticket, you know, um, product that we have. And then we have like our group coaching online subscription. So people pay for a smaller. So one know, to one, one to many. One to one, one to many. 39 bucks a month for one, one to many. And, you know, somewhere in the $350 per month range for the one to one. To one. And we, this year, so I would say sometime in the pandemic, we like really shifted our model. We went to the subscription model. Prior to that, we ran quarterly launches of one group program that we had. We had this thing called Awaken Training it's, Series. Yeah. yeah. 
And so, so you launch like PIFs for everyone listening. This would be like you sold this one, six, 12, 18, however long week program, send someone a PDF and it was these big pops of cash, but not recurring monthly revenue. Precisely. Yeah. Which was, you know, which was what grew our business initially. And, you know, we got quite a bit of reach, I think, um, through that whole period of time, we probably put over 6,000, 7,000 people through Awaken Training Series, and there were multiple offers in there. So there was like ATS 1, 2, 3, 4, and so people that, you know, there was always some attrition, like we'd get 1,000 customers into one, you know, 60% of them would go on to two, 60% would go on to three, 60% of those would go on to four. Um, but we were putting, for three years, we were putting people into ATS 1, you know, at increasing launch rates. Uh, I think for two, like two full years, we were just growing, growing, growing. And then that leveled and it started to decline, like the new people coming in. Um, people just, we had saturated kind of our market. They had seen it and they were like, well, what's what's next from you? And we weren't really sure how to transition. So we wanted to move into like, I wanted to move into a subscription model um, because these hits of revenue every three months were really exhausting on the team, um, particularly my partner, Satya, and and me in, in the interim. It was also, you know, volatile and emotionally. It was like, okay, we're up, and then okay, what, what's going on in between? Is this going to be back up? And, like, it just felt insecure as a, as a company, as a business. So, yeah, that was, like, you know, at our height, I think we probably, in our best year during ATS, we 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 did, like, maybe $2 million in revenue as a company. And that was with the individual coaching revenue, like all lumped in there to maybe 2.4. And then that started to quiet down. And then the pandemic hit and our program that we were offering was very gym focused. It was like you needed to have access to a gym to do ATS. And uh, it did not, it, it, it wouldn't sell during the pandemic when there were like hardcore lockdowns for the first several months, you know, our first, our, Pandemic lockdowns, March 16th. April 1st was our launch date for ATS. Did yep. not do well. And it was like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to pivot? Okay, let's put out tons of free resources. Let's put out tons of like, you know, here's how you can train at home. Here's how you can do functional bodybuilding yep. at home. And it was like this educational manual that we put out that was like 30 pages long. Like, these are the pieces of equipment. This is where you could probably find them on Amazon. This is what you can do. These are the things you want to keep in mind. Like, don't just go do burpees until you're blue in the face. Like, add in some tempo. Add in these principles. Like, this is what you can do, and here's some home workouts that you can try. And and then people were like, great. Tons of people use that. We're, like, using the resources. A month and a half later, here's this new program. It's called Minimalist. You know, Persist Minimalist. You're going to persist through this pandemic. Sure with nothing, with dumbbells, with bands, with body weight. It's free for a month. Deliver it through True Coach. Join. Okay. Then that turned into paid. Once people were like, well, we're done with the month and we're still in lockdowns. Like we still need this. And so those started to get paid. Um, and then. Do you have it set up as auto enroll in the pay? So put in credit card, nothing charged you, now. And after 30 days, you're just going to get dinged until you cancel. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then about two, three months later, some gyms started to open. Uh, hey, we offer a new training track that's like basically kind of like in what ATS used to be, but now offered as persist. It's like mm -hmm. here's a training with barbells and with 
boxes and with rowers and stuff like that. So people had an option for minimalist yep. or classic. You know, it's like these two different options. Anyhow, that was when we kind of did away with ATS. It like slowly started to quiet down, and then we started to build persist, and then that's where we are at today. And I think in 2021 was like the f- even 2020 was the first year that we eclipsed that three million in revenue mark. So we went from like things were like at best, you know, just above two with ATS. They started to decline, and then they more or less bottomed out. And it was like we still had revenue from our individual coaching because we had about 350 clients in that part of our business. But that even took a hit during the pandemic. A lot of people were like, hey, I got to put this on hold. Like I can't, uh, you know, I might lose my job. Like I, I don't sure. know if I'm on furlough right now. I can't pay for this. So things were rocky. But then, you know, that second half of, of 2021 was pretty successful in terms of like, building a subscription base you know i think maybe by the end of 2021 we uh or sorry 2020 excuse me at the end of 2020 we may have had like you know 1500 people 2000 people getting into that yeah and then 2021 was all about okay how do we grow this and so we've gone you know we, we cr- probably grew by like 40 or 50 percent in that year and then in 2022 continuing some growth so you know i think what what we looked at was like from pre-pandemic to today, I think we've had like a hundred percent growth in revenue, but just, you know, a complete pivot in our business from one model of sales to a totally different model of, you know, servicing our customers, which ultimately feels much better to me. It's like, because the program and the delivery of the method is like, it's, it's living and breathing. It's not like this program that I built that I'm just, you know, selling every quarter. It's like, we're adapting it. We're, it's evolving. We're adding new features. We're adding, you know, new resources for people all the time. We're doing the very best that we can to listen to the customer and get actual, as much data as possible to be like, okay, that they want this in the program. Let's put it in versus like every 12 weeks we have, you know, a growth in sales or a decline in sales. And, and that's the only data yeah. that we have, you know, it's like, we're not like, what do I do with that? You know, it's interesting. So, you know, Marcus is essentially talking about the, the two revenue models, especially for the brick and mortar, you know, you have the PIF and the EFT, right? The, with yours and some people, and I made the mistake too, and I know better when I first created micro gym university, which again is just, it's, it's an online business. I created it the entire, you know, it took me 18 months, created the whole damn thing, sold it at one high tick, $6,000 for full enrollment. You get all the shit and it was great. It was big punch. And as soon as it happens, you celebrate, you pop the champagne and you're like, fuck, I got to start working on the new courses mm-hmm. because this, like, it's going to take them X amount of time to make it through this content. And then they're going to be asking what's next, sir. Yeah. Right. So that PIF model is great. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at that because I've, you know, during the pandemic, I had a lot of clients who went from brick and mortars. And this is when they realized there are their ways signing leases that cost 30 to 40% of their total monthly revenue was not sustainable, especially, mm-hmm. you know, in something like a pandemic. So they, they transferred online. It was like, well, what do I do? Do I do eight week P- PDFs and I sell like that? And I think a lot of people had seen what you had done with ATS. And my thing was, you know, you can, it is just a lot of stop, go, stop, go, stop, go versus a EFT model, the recurring subscription. 
is you're just constantly having to drip that new stuff out at a nice steady pace. But then you can also count on the revenue coming in at a nice steady pace as well. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, we were talking last time, one of my favorite books was a company of one by Paul Jarvis that made me realize, okay, I want this one thing as my business. I want these other things as jobs that if I don't do the work, nothing happens and it dies with me. Right. If I stop doing the work. Does, do you, do you look at like from a, from with functional bodybuilding, if you literally, if I, if I tied you up and left you up here and you couldn't make a video or do anything for 90 days, it, what happens? How much of the business is so propped up on you, Marcus, to where part of you is like, I still have a job. Like if I don't dance, this shit don't happen. Mm-hmm. versus the business, which in the definitions, I guess, operationally I use for that, which I probably should have stated was, I look at the business as something that you can you can step away from. You're still never fully removed, but you step away from, and the cogs in the machines move, the revenues made, decisions are, create, are made, things like that, versus the job. Like, I actually have to be in there making the widgets, styling the hair, training the session, shooting the videos, whatever it may be, in order for the machine to keep going. I stop, there is an abrupt halt or a significant decrease in any KPI you could imagine you'd want to you know, measure for your business. Right. Yeah, I, w- I would, um, well, I don't know how to assign like a value to that. I'll just talk generally in terms of like, you know, if I were to step away, let's say, let's say I just was like, hey, Something big came up in the family. I I just cannot be present for the next thirty days, sixty days. I think we would weather it, and not because like what I'm doing isn't valuable, but because there's 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 a pretty there's a lot of like systems and processes in place to like keep the the the, the key public facing things going. You know, there's keeping the beast. Yeah, like we have content that we can. Repurpose, you know, repurpose, and, yeah. and um, there, you know, the programs probably are the hardest thing. It's like we have a big membership, and there are programs that I write, you know, and I just wrapped up writing like the next six weeks of training that begins on August fifteenth. So August fifteenth, I've got six weeks of training planned, which takes us into October. Won't make, yeah, yeah, right, and so. So you're good till October, but then you got to feet. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to have the next six weeks ready to go. Yeah, and to get the next six weeks ready to go, you know, by October that process starts by August fifteenth. Sure. You know, and there's people involved. There's there's a group of twenty people that are giving us or thirty people that are giving us feedback on that cycle. They're four weeks ahead, and they're telling us what's going on with their training and where we're make, missing the mark. And you know, that's the big piece that I certainly still contribute a lot. It's like the sort of the innovation and the evolution of the training, but what's, and what's, you know, what's been not like, it hasn't been like a goal of mine to, I want to train a team to be able to do this job so I don't have to do it. It's like, I want to build a team of coaches around me that could step in and really take over at least the group subscription programming, should it be a requirement. And that's something that like, takes time to to document and to really think about i've spent it's been like you know one of my objectives this year you know that i've listed my okrs it's like i've got to document what it takes to write functional bodybuilding training with the lens and the brain power that i put into it like audio recording yourself as you're writing the programs like yeah like i have these notes on my computer called like these are persist rules 
Like when we write this training, this is what we follow. We don't do this. Like we do do this. Like never put this here. Like the the hundred things that go through my head as I evaluate whether I have a, you know, whether this design that I've put together is going to work for a lot of people, for thousands of people, I, that needs to be something that, you know, so worst case scenario, like we could probably, you know, recycle training. We could, you know, one of my coaches, I'm sure, um, probably several of them, you know, if tasked and of course compensated well for it's like, Hey, come in, like Marcus is out. Like here's pump pillars perform these three training tracks. Like we need the next six weeks of training and, you know, they're super knowledgeable. We've trained them well. They understand the method. Many of them do the method all the time and they could, you know, take that and, and build a foundation on it for the next training cycle. Um, but it would be, you know, it'd be a, a big, it's a lot of work that, sure. that would be new to them. And then I guess the other part was just like, you know, my position in the company is driving the culture of what we're doing. It's like, there's, you know, I, I don't, there's, yeah, aside from Satya, who you got to meet and, and have dinner with last night, you know, there's, there's not a, another single person who's like, this is where we're driving the culture of functional bodybuilding. Like it's, it's coming from me, you know, and, and that's how, where it should be coming from. Um, so if that's absent for a long time, I think a lot of people, employees, coaches start to like raise their hand, like, where are we going? What are we doing? Like, what's, what's the North star of the company? And that, that can't come from anybody else. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question, no, what it, the percentage of like, sure. you know, business and a job, but there's definitely a job that mm-hmm. I've got, you know, and there's, there's things that I got to check off and I have my jobs in the company, but then there's also this business that we're running that, you know, thankfully I have great people around me. And, and I think Sati is probably, you know, this conversation would be very different if she wasn't around. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, yeah, I got a job. Yeah. Sati is great. I was, uh, she's being very ninja like down there working out right now. Yeah. I, I can hear her breathing between sets. The, so, but that's, that's exactly why we mentioned earlier, man, it's showing people the behind the scenes of my personal, my family life is something that the audience thinks about, you know, they wonder like, man, I wonder what happens. What, how does Mark, like, does Marcus, his wife argue at dinner about his content? Like that's what they're thinking in their head. Yeah. The same way they're thinking you sit here in a, in a glass, um, functional bodybuilding tower and you're working out whatever. And I, I like to bring the light that even a business doing over $3 million a year has an org chart of essentially Marcus who sits at a CEO role, a program design role and on camera talent. Like, I mean, that's the, would we say those like the majority kind of big three yeah. roles you're playing? Yeah. And then you have Satya, who's your chief marketing officer, and she's making sure that we're getting enough eyeballs on things and evaluating that whole process and helping you yep. think of the business so you can bounce ideas off of. If you got Nate over here, who's an animal on the editing and the videography, but like, this is a, like a, a very, this is a high revenue business for everyone listening to this in the, in the gym owner world. This is still 3 million. We'd still put in like the small business category in the general prospect of, of business operations and revenue. But beyond the three of you in those names I just had, you've got Cliff who I, I yep. haven't met Cliff yet. Um, what, what's Cliff's role? I mean, Cliff's title is director of operations. Okay. And I think he oversees the individual coaching business like the coaches and um also basically our 
he's like he- like heads up the customer success team for our online subscription, making sure that programs are there, delivered on time, managing all you know customer inquiries and issues that come up with getting onto our training platform, True Coach, sure. you know that those types of experiences that people are having, and he's just been an absolute you know game changer for us when it comes to like documenting process within the company every i mean he's kind of our hr he's our hr department too so he's he's taken a pretty big heavy lift on all those things then satya's got um delaney working for underneath her as like a junior marketer so she's got support on marketing side and then we have like kind of our our head you know uh admin um molly who's been with us since before you know, lockdown, she was helping out on the on-site business when we were doing that still. And then we have somebody who's doing sales, you know, for the individual coaching. It's like getting on calls with prospects and basically selling them on, you know, a year-long commitment to personal coaching with one of our coaches. And so that's like our team of, uh, you know, employees. And How many many people would you say that is? Like full-time? That's that's seven. That's I think I just named seven people, or we just named seven people. Those are like seven full-time employees, and then there's seven coaches on top of that. Got and it. those coaches are also all full-time. Got it. You know, with we kind of defined full-time as like once you have 40 clients or more, you're full-time for the company. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've always used uh, a term when my first client taught it to me when I first started doing consulting in 2015. He he referred to it as full focus, meaning like yeah. I don't really know how many hours of the week you're going to work in this business. It could be a fuck time, but as long as this is like yeah. your sole focus, your only means of income for the most part, kind of scenario. Yeah. yeah. So those are yeah, we've got those, you know, basically 13 people, 14 people that are full focus, and then got we it. have you know a list of contractors that we outsource some things to for from graphics to like editing help that Nate will get. You know, we have an advisor that's sort of helping us on, you know, business vision and Jim. Yeah, yeah, Jim. I'm trying to think who else is, you know, yeah, who else gets the uh, the the, the ten ninety nine. Th- yeah, you think about it though. Like, you know, if everyone's like, just follow along with the math. It's like you and me were talking, and I I asked you what was a, a big takeaway from your dinner with Layla and Alex, and I know you got to converse mainly with, a lot with Layla. Mm-hmm. So I think you should, you know, you need to get like a, a growth-minded CEO, someone to step in yeah. or someone that, you know, help drive that focus. And it's like, well, the margins just, we, we don't, we, for the person we want, we probably maybe don't have the, the, the ink, the, the compensation package ready for that person yet, but that right. could be on our, on our trajectory. But just to put it in like context for everyone listening, like, even with you know multiple millions of dollars in revenue, having this size of a team and all that, like things change. And this is the online scene, guys. So I mean, a good an online business. I'd be curious what yours is like. You know, is going to run profits, profit margins. I'm sorry, in in the exceptional numbers compared to you know a gym is high fiving itself yeah. if it's doing 22, 25 percent. You totally. know. Online, we can see 50s and 60s and depending on how lean you run it. And that kind of goes back to like company one was like this idea of like, do I want to make a million dollars? Yes. Do I want to spend $900,000 to make a million? No. So how do I uh, manipulate the business to run it as lean as possible, yeah. which generally means less humans, unfortunately. Like that's, you know, the number one thing is yeah. is going to be your HR. It's the hardest thing. It's the most complicated because humans are fickle people and you fall in love with them and their skill set. And for whatever reason, life takes them away from you for whatever reason, their decision, your decision. And now you're trying to find a needle in a haystack. Again, another great replacement. It's very hard and they're most expensive. It's, um, 
It's very difficult, but well, I and that's and that's how we ran our company. I mean, that's you know, it's not like these were not. I, I use words like this is how we run, run our company. Like these weren't like intentional choices. This was just like this is how it went. This is what happened. You know, we sought to introduce herself to me. We teamed up on a pro- on a project. It was successful. We did it again. We did it again. We did. We just the two of us. Like, and there were coaches that were yeah. coaching clients on the side. Serendipity right? probably is the initiator. Yeah, and then just you know being in the trenches together. Yeah, and then it was like, we we got we felt really constrained at some point on something. So we're like, okay, we'll like we'll hire this person. And it was like, oh, really? Like we're gonna okay, we'll do it. We'll like we'll we'll bite the bullet and we'll just hire a media person, like someone to come in and shoot video photography, like you know and. That was like that was kind of like it. It's like okay, there's three of us running this new thing, and then it was you know ye- probably a year or more. I mean, until we hired an admin. It's like Sati was the admin, was HR, was yeah. you know customer success, marketing, like um, you know. And I'm I'm kind of like along for the ride with her to like how help in any way that I can, and you know we're just like doing everything. So that's been kind of like the litmus test of like when we really need to like hire somebody is like, okay, this is getting painful for us to do. Um, Not that we can't do it, but it's like, well, it's just sort of making it less fun and less enjoyable and maybe, you know, unsustainable. It's like, well, it wasn't sustainable to start with because it couldn't be, we had to like charge hard. So that's kind of been what the last, I'd say the last nine months of our company has been about is like, all right, like you, we if we want to be, if we want to grow, if we want to reach more people, if if we want to scale beyond what we've built, then the system, the org chart, the way that we've structured it hasn't been, hasn't been right. We have to have a better team, yeah. and that's it's interesting because that that's what we've been focused on. And then I go to that dinner with the Hermoses and Layla's. Basically, like that's that is there from what I've what I can take away from my conversations with them and, and looking at how they've worked with other companies, like that's where they're really skilled. Their is like superpower, if you will. They, they can come in and it's like, okay, we can pick the team, we can build the team, and then we can get this thing, you know, and along the way, like let's fix some of the problems with how you're packaging and pricing and how you're, what you're doing in your marketing, but like let's get the right people that will know how to make those decisions for you. And I think that was like her big, you know, feedback was like yeah you're you're still like you've been building team but like you're still in it like you still might not have all the right players and pieces to to take the next jump you know because they're looking at it like yeah can we come in and take you from three to 30 like how could we 10x your business how could yeah. we 5x your business like because they've got to look at the bottlenecks that you've already created and the constraints that are yeah. in there and now they have to unwork you know unwind that ball yeah because their 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 thesis is like hey if you've hit that three to five million in revenue mark then you've you know you have product market like you've proven that the market loves what you do and now it's like okay how do we just go from product market fit to like scale and it's the right team it's good process and then it's you know relentless doing what they call the boring work over and over and over again and so that's you know i'm not i'm not an i'm not like an operator like i'm not like a you know an executive wizard like i i 
I never was when I was a CrossFit gym owner. Like I had success on the heels of being like a, a thoughtful, caring coach who had a decent amount of knowledge and could, you know, get buy-in from the people that uh, were around him and the coaches and that I had also like, I think just a good sense about like money and investment and like, okay, we have to really keep our profit margins as high as we can. We need to save money. We need to be smart about where we reinvest. Like that's not, we don't need to put a bunch of money into that right now. Like, and I've always protected that in our businesses. So those have been the things that I've contributed a lot over the years, but everything else, like I'm, you know, I was, I was a novice to an intermediate. Now I'm like, I'm still in like the intermediate understanding of, of business. And that's who, that's the team and the support that I need around me to, you know, whatever, see what the next evolution of growth could look like for this company. And I'll just say this too. It's like, it's, it's easy to get, you know, as, as a, as a business, it's like, well, what, what do you do as a business? Well, you provide a service in, in our case. And then like, okay, how good's that service? How, how, how great are the people's experience? Like, that's one way to measure the success of your business. People are like loving it. And then the other way to measure is like, are you growing? Are you doing that with more and more people? And, you know, the other thing that I think gets lost in that conversation is like always talking about growth is like, is this really fulfilling still to me, the business owner and the people that work here? Like, are we loving the opportunity to do this thing over and over and over again? Or are we just like, forget whether we're loving it like how do we grow how do we grow how do we grow you know because i never got into this thinking like okay we're gonna grow we're gonna sell this thing for a multiple like let's just you know like i was at that dinner and there were people at that dinner table who were like yeah like we're hardcore gonna sell this thing in the next year like they're asking questions like how did you sell your business what are the process like you know we want out and i'm like oh interesting like and then this this, these guys over here are like, yeah, we're, we have like a five-year plan. We're going to grow this, 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 this. And then we're going to sell to like, you know, one of the bigger installers in the country. And I'm like, you already know that? Like that's just sure, yeah. different to me. I, don't, I never considered that. A good tactic based on whatever, you know, for everything Marcus is saying, if everyone's listening to this at home, one of the, the exercises I really like for people is like, write down your current org chart, which for most people, again, might be an exercise they've never done before. Like take the current org chart and then create the aspirational one. Based on whatever maybe that, you know, five-year vision is or whatever, like, what do you think the team would look like that you'd have to do? Because we, we'd all agree the team is going to have to look different in the future for your future goals than what it is now. But that is such the that is such a component of it. It's number one, it, it allows you to play pretend and make believe as to what am I going to do. And I think some of us don't – we're so cautious or so worried about the now because there's so much to do now. We don't take time to kind of have that brain dump and just sit and think about well, what do I want it to be? What could it be? What if it's – what if it's – but no, I don't want to put that number down. That's crazy. I'll never make that much money. I say like, fuck it. No, like you should have like a big 10 year picture kind of goal that almost seems audacious that you wouldn't even want to speak into existence in front of someone because a more experienced entrepreneur might laugh at you. Like you think you're going to do that. That's the kind of 10 year plan I want you to have because now it doesn't really matter. Now it's, it's ultimately a little bit more about like, okay, what does it take to get there? And what it always comes down to are humans. It mm-hmm. takes the right humans being in the right seats type scenario. And it just, that's the hardest thing. You can change a program adjust the marketing style, all that relatively quicker than you can develop a human, recruit a human, and get them to find their potential within the role in your company. That stuff just, yeah. I mean, we're talking years and years on that process. Yeah. 
when we look at this and I, I wrote this, um, you know, I wrote down this this note on here, kind of the, the economics of an online business model. We are talking margins. Do you know where, where you guys sit now? Like what, what that profit margin looks like now that you guys are at the highest end of the revenue that you've done? Have you been able to preserve that profit margin or has it kind of, yeah, we've kind of lost it a little because we've had to spend money on expansion and staff and things like that? I mean, I looked at some of these numbers recently before going to dinner, just be like, you know, I want to kind of have a, sure. something to present or something to talk about if it comes up. Which it did not, you know. No one was like digging into the numbers. Like, tell me about your numbers, because like, <laughs> I didn't feel like I was on Shark Tank. Although I went in thinking that that might be the case, it was a different energy. Which Alex Mosby would be a great guy on Shark Tank. I was thinking that. I was like, man, when, how? What's the what's the roadmap to getting him on Shark yeah. Tank? Although, come to, like as I think about it, it's like that's not really the play that it sounds like they're trying to make with with companies. Like, you know, at least some of the pitches and what people are asking for. Sure. But yeah, like we basically kind of had looked at, okay, relative to pre-pandemic to today, you know, how have our total profits or like our gross revenue and our margins changed? And they've gotten better um, in both cases, you know, so we've been able to preserve, you know, the question would probably be, and we don't have enough, you know, we haven't played out the whole year. It's like, okay, what does our margin look like from, you know, December uh, 2021 to December 2022, because we've done the majority of our hiring in the last, you know, eight months. And, um, and so that's the number that I'm, I, I'm curious to look at. Um, it's at this point, pretty stable and, and kind of, you know, we're, we're growing enough in revenue along with our increased expenses to maintain some margin. Although, you know, the, the goal is like, you add bodies, you add, and then you scale up revenue. And like, ultimately you could see maybe a better return and yeah. better, better profit. It's very margin. hard to do both at once to grow your revenue and increase the margin to do both simultaneously generally never happens. It's one and then a laggard of the other. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and, and the other part that's, you know, a little bit, uh, confounding in that is that, you know, we, we, because we offer one to many and a one to one service, like, those margins are very different, you know, just because we're paying a paying coaches for their, the work that they're doing, which they get compensated, you know, much more than what they should. So those two business lines, like how are they growing relative to each other? I mean, the one to many grows has, has scaled a lot more in the last, you know, a couple of years. Um, but yeah, our margins have stayed pretty consistent. And, and that's something that has also been like something I'm pretty attached to as a, as a business owner is like, Hey, this is what I've experienced in the past many years. This is what I've come to expect. Like when is the time? And this was one of my like questions and challenges that I was like bringing to the dinner was like, you know, when's the time to really say, okay, we need to make a sizable investment for this long. And we need to just eat into some of that margin because it's necessary to see, you know, a big growth on the, on the back end. How do you, how do you quantify that? How do you, what are the calculators? Yeah. How do you calculate that risk? And, uh, where do you, where do they prioritize? Like, you know, taking risk when it comes to building businesses. Um, I didn't get to have that like specific conversation and get some specific answers from it, but it's still a big question that I have. My personal experience with that and the advice I or the anecdotal advice I always provide is when you don't have a lot of money, when you're starting the business off, you're way more willing to take risk. And then you've worked your ass off 
you're like, fuck, cool. I've got this margin. It's kind of what I'm expected. It's kind of what I'm used to. I've got a lifestyle that my employees have a lifestyle. I don't want to risk that because what if I'm wrong? It's kind of like someone who once they make money, they're constantly scared of like, fuck, what, what if this ride ends at some point mm-hmm. kind of scenario? And then, you know, I'll have a gym, very similar. Like, okay, margins are good, but we're not really growing. We're just kind of gliding on a horizontal. I want to hockey stick. At what point, like, how do I take this thing down? Do I purposely reinvest? And how much of my margin do I let go? Like, what's a a safe, comfortable number? And that's generally where it's like, you know, well, things are gliding at a horizontal, nice and steady. You're not growing. It's it's pretty reliable. It's pretty predictable. If you can find a way for yourself to back out a little, and create an ancillary singular source of income. And this is like, I've heard someone analyze this on YouTube. It's like Gary Vaynerchuk, his, he's able to, on just speaking gigs alone, that ancillary revenue that comes in, he's able to run his business at a crazy low margin because he doesn't need to extract money out of there. And he can reinvest it into growth and growth and growth constantly because he's got this other idea, this other thing over here. And that's what I did with when the gym. When I bought that building and I was outfitting it, I mean, I took my margins down to like nothing. But I had the benefit of starting this thing in 2015, and I had that revenue. So as an owner, I no longer had to extract any money out of it. I had my the guys who did all our direct deposits and our our finance planning. I said, take me off, take me off the tap. Like I don't want any more money out of the gym, yeah. and I'm going to reinvest that in the people and this new building and all this other shit. But it was it, it was that was the thing realistically. Or the other play is take cash from somebody. Right. Yeah. Like something that allows you to do that. Like, but yeah. it is, it's a really hard question. Um, well, I, 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 and I, I was listening to, uh, yeah. So listening to Alex Hermosi talk about it on a podcast recently, I think it was on his more plates, more dates podcast. And, um, he, I he didn't was, know he did. He did Derek's yeah. podcast. That's cool. I got to listen it's to that. Pretty, it's pretty good. But he said like, it was on this question of like reinvesting into the business. He's like a good business should spit off cash. Like, and when you reinvest, technically that would be taking money, profits, and buying appreciable assets. Like, that's what reinvestment looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are just pouring money back in and you're bringing your margins down to zero, then for the period of time that you're doing that, that business is not good. Like, yeah. it's not making any profit. And buying 20 more assault bikes. Yeah, right? yeah. like nobody, nobody's looking for that. Yes. So, you know, you, you have to... And that's kind of how I, I, I like that really resonated with me. It's like, yeah, so, you know, if we if we're running margins like this, and you know, every month there's cash to take home, like, I'm either taking that cash home, and investing it myself, or you know, using it to live, and then whatever's left, like, I'm saving it, putting it in investments. Like, yep. I'm basically going to say, how do I maximize this for my future and my family's future, or I'm going to take that margin, and I'm going to use it use the business vehicle to go and buy something that will be worth something in 10 20 30 years you know much like whatever a multiple that makes sense my cash and have it make cash yeah Yeah. and the the third option is like i'm going to take that money and i'm just going to go and like run a bunch more ads and buy a bunch more equipment for the gym and you know hire 10 more people and unless that expense immediately like doubles or triples revenue like to to account for like that increased expense like then your margins are just getting smaller Correct, and smaller yeah. and then Probably six months the right later you're like oh well, all that reinvestment that wasn't reinvestment it was just poor allocation of cash and expense and now our company is working at you know half the margins that we used to and we're not as good a company anymore yeah. and that's it, that kind of leads perfectly into the next thing spending money on marketing is calculated gambling 
yes. is essentially what it is. I do believe you have to inv- like I believe HR is an investment. I don't, like when I look at payroll on an expense line in my head, I'm like, it's an investment. When I look at um, marketing, I'm like, that's an investment. But marketing is the one that is a very calculated gamble, at least on, you know, if I invest in payroll and I give everyone raises, I have a great idea what the output's going to be of that money. Almost guaranteed for you. You have the brick and mortar equivalent of a retail location on the very busy street. So Jim switched, you know, Glassman got everyone into, he wrote the, what the fuck was the name of that article? It was essentially, it was a two part journal article about setting up a warehouse gym. Yeah. Like, all right. Well, that was 08 when we could all go get flex industrial warehouse spaces like this and get a year and a half free because the fucking crash had just happened. Right. And then as like Orange Theory and the, and the boutique micro gym market sophisticate, we all find ourselves in retail location where there are eyeballs mm. with the idea, at least from a business planning perspective, I will spend X amount more in triple net leases and cam and all that stuff for this location. But I won't be spending it in marketing because I have, you know, uh, 50,000 VPD vehicles per day, whatever it is with a following, like what Marcus Philly has organically, right? You're not paying Instagram every month for that. Can you, when were you, when did you have to stop feeding off your own ecosystem? They're like, when did that hundreds of thousands of people watching you be like, dude, this isn't enough. We have to pay for more traffic. Like how it Mm. like for your, we look at Marcus and market. It's like, fuck, I've like spent all this time building up this following. Yeah, I should be able to organically, hopefully, make shit churn. I mean, I talked with uh, Pastuch about this because he's tried so many different marketing options from my conversations with him, and he's like, "Still, nothing does better for our sales than when I get on there and I turn on the faucet myself, and I go live, or I do this, or I do that." Mm-hmm. How do you, how does that thought about from a marketing perspective when you guys are talking? You know, from that perspective, you're having to buy traffic, and it's like, okay, what were, what is my organic? reach right now responsible for revenue wise and how do we compare that when buying traffic it's a great question aside from in 2000 i think it was 2019 maybe september of 2019 to like march of 2020 we hired like an outside agency to like run some paid ads for us outside of that we've and and then in March we like well things are changing we're gonna take this in house and Sati was like I'm just gonna like turn the volume way down on this and basically after about two three months we just stopped it so all in probably like seven months in our history of running paid traffic and uh, and there was no it I mean when we had the agency working for us like they weren't really connected with our brand message like. It, it just didn't work to get the return that we were paying for at the time. So for six years, it's been almost solely organic. Sure. And, you know, uh, at this point, I think we're at the stage where we're like, okay, this is definitely the time for us to, you know, expand beyond just like our organic reach and make a decision as to like how, how are we going to go about, about, you know, what's our strategy for going about you know buying you know eyeballs and paying for you know marketing through ads um and it's really a big question mark for us like we, we don't have a good answer to it and it's really just in its infancy for our company and that's one of the big things that we're like okay in 2022 like how do we unlock this for for us what's going to work in the model that we have what's going to spread the message of functional bodybuilding get more people in 
for you personally, I, I'm going to share my how I feel about this. I'm really curious your take. I thought the same thing. I was like, okay. And I'm operating on such a micro scale compared to you, but the, the, the ideas are very similar. I'm like, okay, I've got this organic following. It is done. I've been able to generate X in revenue, right? Thinking about marketing is that big question mark. Again, it's this calculated gamble, and I don't enjoy it. Like, I don't like thinking about it. I don't like talking to anyone who does ads. I don't like, I don't even enjoy that process. Yeah. What I do enjoy doing is I love like, like I'm looking here at your plaque. We've got this passing 100,000 subscribers YouTube plaque here. And you can see guys like Alex has obviously poured a ton of effort into his YouTube channel and things like that. The thing that really excites me is like organically, if I if I stay in the organic compound and I'm like, okay, well, how do I I've been making I'm, I'm doing good with this kind of following. If I if we got Marcus fully to a million followers, do are we still even ask, or, you know, are you you guys even talking about buying paid ads at that point? Do you need to does a plus 300, 200,000 followers on Instagram or another 100,000 subscribers on YouTube? Does that solve this now need to buy traffic. And if mm. that's the case, then how do I organically get there? Cause I organically got here. I got to yeah. almost a million people organically. I never paid for a single one of these people. So, and that's like where this idea came in. I was like, Oh, what, what can I do? I'm like, it was the pandemic. I listened to my first like full Joe Rogan podcast. I'd never listened to one. Yeah. Um, I was like, who the fuck has the time to sit there and yeah, do yeah. that? And that's where this idea, I'm like, I'm going to go around and I'm going to do this because no one else is, you know, no one else maybe has the bandwidth to literally pack up and travel and go and do this in front in real life with people, not just a Zoom one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to track whether that was the connector, but we saw upticks and everything on that front. And it was like, OK, well, that's the only thing that's really changed. Every, I've done I'm literally doing the exact same thing I've always done. I've just added in. 220 extra clips a year or however many hours of content from these cool conversations that I'm yeah. having. But it was more fun for me to think of like the organic strat, the fun organic shit than yeah. it was to sit there and be like, all right, here's 20 grand to a firm. Let's see, roll the dice and uh, with my money and see what you can do. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I, I think we're, I believe, I don't know. I think we're at a stage where we're trying to pull all levers. You know, we're not like, well, let's just focus here. Let's just focus here. We're we're scaling up our social media or our, our media content production and distribution. It's like Instagram as a platform is very different now than it was three, four years ago, you know? So the platform's changing, you know, the ability to like really not go viral, but at least just like get into new uh, spheres and really explode on Instagram is challenging, super hard. Like you've got to put in like there's, there's a there's a formula there that's difficult to figure out. Um, YouTube is, you know, we had a big first year. Like last year was like our big full first year on YouTube. And the, you know, periodically we like hit up, we get a home run video that gets, you know, a couple hundred thousand views. It's big, it's viral. Um, but for the most part, we have like a steady, you know, kind of growth rate, which is great. But you know, are we going to go from 100,000 to or 125 to 225 like in the next couple months? I don't see that happening or the next six months. I think it's going to be a slow climb until we have something big that changes. And what are we doing? Well, we're just going to put out more frequent content there. You know, we haven't really explored deeply TikTok as a platform, but that's an area that we have to be on so we launched maybe about a month ago on there and it. it's like okay how do we start to drip out content to just more more different sources that people are consuming and i don't think that uh, you know we have a podcast that we do we have 
I have long form YouTube content. Mm-hmm. We're doing shorts on you know YouTube. We do Instagram content. We're getting opportunities to like you know travel and and see like we we film stuff in in Sweden. Like we have content to repurpose, but that's just about scaling up your media departments. Like there's only so much Nate can do to edit. You know our conversation last night about uh, distributing more content and getting more clips. Like you know and and companies that you can work with to do that like that was super in, interesting to me it's like okay we have all this content here like how do we just get it onto you know get it in front of more eyeballs and then it's like okay well what about a paid strategy to do that like we have great stuff that speaks to people and it has at different times when algorithms were different when you know the the landscape of social media when the pandemic hit and people were like i'm just on instagram all the time because i'm not i'm at home and you know, I saw just a dramatic growth in my Instagram account during those first six months of the pandemic, which I haven't experienced since probably 2016. You know, it's like, so what What could change that and bring that kind of yeah. hockey stick type of growth? I don't know where it's going to come from. And we're not like, I'm not like trying to spend all my time being like, what's the hockey stick growth strategy? It's more like, what's the steady, consistent growth strategy on all platforms, paid, organic, email like what you know let's improve seo let's kind of do a little bit of everything and because i think that that's ultimately what's what's actually a bit more sustainable to feel the pressure of like i gotta go come up with like a home run idea that's gonna really just like change everything and you know 10x what we're doing like that's unrealistic unlikely and also just maybe probably a waste of of like good energy that could be distributed amongst other other platforms if you know if i'm satya and i'm sitting here having conversations with you i i agree a thousand percent and i'm i'm thinking of this from a marketing perspective it's like everything you do on youtube and all the videos you put out on instagram and all that they're all there to help someone solve a problem answer a question whatever it is but at some point just like training if you're doing the same three by ten or the same whatever you need just a different one and and yeah. i i i watch the clip this is, dude, you'll have to tell me when this was. This was months ago, maybe. And I instantly had a content idea that I, I was like, when I go do the podcast with Marcus, I'm going to run it by him. Yeah. You were, I think you were local, but you were off somewhere else and you just dropped into a Globo gym. And mm-hmm. you were kind of talking about, like, I was there and like some guys were kind of, you know, they're broing me up a little bit. You had a tank top on. It was this whole thing. And because you're always training in your compound here or in these isolated backyard clips, it's like, man, what would be so YouTube and just so different than anything anyone's doing is if you take a couple of your guys like Nate and you do kind of almost like, not like a, it's not a prank video by any means, like a Nelk Boys thing. It's very much just like, you know, if Marcus is in the gym and you're doing a functional bodybuilding, like in a Globo gym, number yeah. one, that's going to ask, that's just going to like, it's a, pro, it's a production and you know how hard it is to get all your equipment in one area and all that, but show that. Cause that's where probably a lot of your functional bodybuilders are existing are in these YMCA Globo gyms yeah. and they can see you go through the struggle of that. And you know, you, you do the secret mic underneath the shirt and people are like, Hey man, I was using that. And just that I would laugh my dick off watch and be like, Oh no, no, no. I'm using that landmine right there. Yeah. No, no. I'll be back to it in a minute. Like, but they would be able to relate to it. And 
Yeah. You know that moment when somebody would come up to you like, bro, what program you follow? And you just yeah. fucking call it like, bro, what program you follow? With Marcus Philly, where you go and drop in the random big Globo gyms and you put on your workouts. Yeah. And then you get the reaction of like, you've seen those videos on YouTube where like a girl deadlifts 305 and every dude in the back is like, oh, fuck me. Like, holy. <laughs> yeah. it, but like the camera guy who's doing the hidden camera zooms out and gets everyone's reaction. It just, it, but it makes it so real because so many of us that go and work out in those kind of formats and we watch you. It's like, man, but what is it? How does that look like when he has to go and he's got to deal with some fuck who takes his 15 pound, you know, 25 pound yeah. dumbbells? I should have, I should have had Nate with me when I was working out at the Aria in, in Vegas, because it was like, it was like that. Yeah. And I'm, some guy came up like there was a, what was I using? Oh, I was, I was doing like a, an EMOM of like dumbbell rows, single arm dumbbell rows with the hundred, like one of the hundreds. And like, you know, there's 95s, yeah. there's other weights. That, you know, He comes up, he's like, hey man, can I use that? I want to, you know, get a set of like deadlifts in. And I'm like, I'm like, my clock is there. It's like counting down. I'm like, I got five more minutes. I'll be done. Like it's, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. And he yeah. grabs the 95s and he's like struggling with that. Yeah. I'm like, you were good. <laughs> that that would have been a great little clip though. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's those kind of, I guess maybe, and that just, I like the creativity in my brain and what I'm always thinking is that's why I think I just, I love organic strategies Yeah. because it just allows me to like, I don't know. It lets me be like maybe a producer or director. Just think about like, what would I want to see? Like what would be super entertaining for me? Yeah. And why can't I see that? Oh, because no one else is doing it, which now is the perfect equation for why I should yeah. hit the record button and do that. I mean, I'm still, I still, you know, well, actually, this is a good tangent, a little bit to go on, but it's like the time and energy that it takes to like really be pushing the envelope on content is massive. Mm-hmm. You know this. Like, it takes a lot of brain power to just not only produce the content, but then to also be creative and to think of the next idea. And it's like content creation is full on. So when, Someone says, like, hey, what do you do for your company? It's like, well, I create content. I write programs. They're like, oh, how long does it take to write the program? I'm like, the question should be, like, how long does it really take to do this? Like, this is a massive investment of time. So as somebody who's, like, playing, you know, wearing a couple different hats for the company, it's like there's been a lot of energy that's gone into some of these other buckets over here to try and solidify our company, which has meant, like, okay, I haven't haven't been able to put, you know – 10 hours a week into just the creative of like, mm-hmm. how am I going to make something that's really different and unique for, for content? Um, I'm starting to make more room for that again, you know, where it's like, okay, I see the value and, and the need to really set aside time to not just like, you know, take training content or take the content that we film every week and just, you know, repurpose it into Instagram and YouTube, but to like, okay, let's, let's create what these are like five ideas that we have that we think could be really successful and let's sort of like create some you know new new ways of filming and maybe new environments and then you know maybe have a tone shift to this let's bring some humor into it maybe this is how like let's think of a whole new concept and then go and test them all out test these over the next month and see which one works the best and then maybe lean into that like you know that that's something that i'm kind of moving back towards and it's cyclical it's like it can't be in that mindset all the time because that takes so much work where it's like when's the other work getting done when is like refining the product when is refining the programs when is you know mentoring the coaches and when is building up the staff and when does all that happen like it was you know alex was saying he's like yeah i I can't uh (laughs) like his content creation he's like i mean he 
he downplays like the energy that goes into it, but he's also like, look, I, I need to be working on the business. You know, like that's where the value is Mm -hmm. like making content. Like, and that can't be my focus. Like if I get too caught up in that, like I'm not doing the right thing for my, my company because it does suck a lot of energy. Yeah. And so it's like, he's like, yeah, every couple weeks I'll film, you know, three videos and then I'm done. It's like, you know, we all want to have that ability to just like, Hey, I just had three ideas. I got in front of camera. It's like, you know, those, those people are real geniuses and they really have like, you know, he obviously has a natural, uh, ability to, you know, think through frameworks and then talk about them eloquently. And then, you know, to produce something like that for most people would be like, that's a full-time job, but it's like a side, a side gig, you know, while he's focused on his business. He's a unique one though. We all created, we all were, our content creation is so directly tied to our success in business right now. Whereas his was, he was successful in business and then realized what he went back. He's like, okay, I need to do, Mm-hmm. I need to do a little more Gary V. I need to do a little more Simon Sinek. I need to I need to create some more content and, and create a little bit more of a legacy and around me and this idea that I have kind of thing. Because I you know I think about for us and what we do in the online space that megaphone that content creation like yeah you, we have to work on the business but also at the at the same time you'd realize like the storytelling and the the message that's going digitally through the airwaves I would say is almost more valuable than the actual end product itself at a time. It's a chicken or the egg, six and a half, one way that does in the other type of conversation because without being able to story tell something that someone goes, dad, I have that fucking problem. And he fixed it. He solved it. Or he told me how to do it better or whatever it yeah. is. They never get to the product because once right. they get to a product, no one's ever tried your workout, but like that workout sucked. I'm canceling today. They probably have it. They probably, boop, you probably had a lot of different attempts for uh, times for them to try functional bodybuilding. Like, oh, this, the second workout was better. I didn't like the first workout the first time I did it. I like the second one. And when I emailed, Cliff emailed me right back. And I really like that customer service. And, th- you know, the new app that they're using is really good. As Once you have a customer, mm-hmm. you have multiple opportunities to prove yourself to them. It's not just one and done. Yeah, it is one and done on on a messaging. Like if you don't get to them first, you never get to them. Like a tree falls in the woods, and no one can hear it, mime or whatever the fuck that saying is. Sure. So I always just think about messaging and marketing is like, and I hate thinking of it as marketing because it's not it's just such an expense and such an agency type play these days. But it's like the uniqueness and the creativity in your your messaging. I almost put as more of a pedestal. A, I think it's harder to do. Mm-hmm. It's harder to be creative. Like that's the area that more people are spending more time on driving the bottom line of the business or coming up with the program and all that. But it's like that's the work ultimately like that that allows the other thing to make the money that it makes. Yeah, I agree in part with what you're saying. And I definitely have put a lot of energy into that. Like and maybe at times I've leaned very heavily over there and less on the product side. But like, you know, if the product is a winner – then every single person that's in the product is just going to do all your marketing for you. Or, you know, your word of mouth is going to be powerful. And, um, you know, like somebody put the, like somebody I follow, it's like, he's a business coach. And he's like, if I told you today that you could never go and market and get another customer, what would you be doing differently about your product? Like, how would you be servicing your customers differently? Because that is now the only way you're going to get new customers Correct. is through them. So it's like, how do you balance, you know, which direction you're going? Put too much energy over here? Okay, come back to the 
to like the actual service. Make sure it's amazing. Make sure that it blows people's minds. Like, you know, sell the expectation here. And then when they get in, they get 2x that. And they're like, whoa, like you, hey, Jeff, you got to get into this program. It's yeah. sick. Like I'm getting all this great information, this great resources, like the workouts are killer. Like I feel like I'm, you know, getting exactly what I was missing. Like then, so anyhow, it, it's, it's certainly a balancing act. And that's why like I, you know, I'm thankful to have Satya here to think in this department a lot for, you know, on my behalf, like I'm not constantly thinking about how we're going to go and acquire new people and get new eyeballs and, you know, revamp our content strategy. Like she's putting a lot of energy towards that too. Um, and at the end of the day, I have to be in front of the camera. I'm going to do a certain amount of, the, I mean, I have to help produce the content too. Uh, so anyway, that balancing act I think is, is important to like keep in mind that you can't have one without the other. And if one were to go away completely, like the, the, the messaging, like you don't have a way to message, you know, like your Instagram account gets pulled the, down, yeah, your correct, YouTube yep. account gets, you know, taken down, like, all right, well, yeah. what else you got? You're, you're back to the, the dark days of no, of, you know, having to get just word of mouth type scenario, you know, uh, when the yellow pages was your Instagram, you know, yeah, type scenario. Right. Uh, you also mentioned that Leila had also, she was talking to you kind of about, you know, ascending that high ticket sale that you guys have, which is the the one-to-one. Talk to me about that. So you currently have one-to-one, one-to-many, what, break it down, just ballpark percentages, what percentage of your total revenue is one-to-many versus one-to-one? It's like 75-25. It's still pretty good. 70-30, yeah. That's pretty good. I, uh, and that's where... Brianna, that she comes into play there and all your other coaches yep. and things like that. If growing that part of the business, which is, again, it's that one's dependent on more humans, right, to, yep. to run that side, it becomes a more expensive part of the business. Does that is do you believe is the do you know the people that just go straight to one to one like they come in go right to high ticket or is that journey you know you know as three and then into persist and that like is it part like how how do you kind of view that yeah I mean it's about I, I think and the, this is going based upon the numbers that my sales guy gives me but it's it's about fifty percent of conversations are with people that have done persist and they're going into one to one or that have never done it. They just heard about FBB and they resonated with the sales page on personal coaching and accountability and nutrition and the whole deal and I'm going to go one to one. So, yeah, it's it's the the constraint there of course is the coach's time and how it's how they allocate their time to service a one to one client and give them the value that they're expecting. Um is it writing, a similar payroll model as your individual design kind of idea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you mind you know, sharing that? Like, what does that look like? Like, so if individual design or one to one is three fifty or whatever it is, do coaches get a cut of that? Are that's they, right. Okay. Yeah, they're paid based upon the number of clients that they have and a percentage of the revenue that that, that those customers are paying, and that starts. You know, it, that over time increases with their base price point, um, and just the, I suppose it, that has something to do with how long they've been with us, but sort of like tops out at like 55, you know, percent to the coach, 45% to the business. And then that 45% is, you know, getting allocated to marketing, media, sales, 
admin, you know, whatever software costs we might have from paying sure. for TrueCoach and, you know, other platforms that we use to like operate that business. But yeah, it's that's and then um, obviously employee benefits. Like we we have a good benefits package for all of our employees that are full time. A vulnerability, you know, in the the brick and mortar scene with personal training, which is the equivalent of you know your individual design remote yes. coaching, is obviously uh, I'm going to follow up with Trainer X. Trainer X is going to say deuces and take their thirty clients with them. Sure. The one thing I always tell an owner is like, first off, now that now Trainer X has to stand up a fucking building, a spot, a facility. Yeah, it has to be convenient because even if Client J loves Trainer X. But Trainer X's facility is a warehouse. It's 20 minutes on the other side of town. Client J is going to say, I love you, homie. Good luck. But I'm going to stay here at this location because convenience right. is king in, totally. in brick and mortar. That's not the case in with you. I mean, yeah. if, you know, if, <laughs> and she's phenomenal. She would. But if Bree was like, deuces, Marcus, and bounce. Yeah. I mean, how do you think about that from a vulnerability standpoint? Because some at some point. I, what's stopping a coach from doing that? And even sure. the best non, you know, non-compete, all these other, yeah, legal, none of them mean you know, anything. No. So how do you think of that? I mean, I think at different stages of our company, like it was a big stress and a worry for me, but I think that if I'm providing a lot, if I feel like we as a company and we work hard to provide a lot for our coaches from leads, number one, to, like new new customers like here's new customer here's new customer like we're providing you new customers all the time you know and we're we have a system for supporting you and being like a better professional like we have an administrative team that takes a whole lot of stuff off of your plate mm -hmm. we have you know benefits package that is you know competitive we have yeah 401k health benefits for our our coaches all of our employees there's um there's a a brand and a method that you can stand behind and, and you can like own and there's systems and there's process there's you give them make their life e as easy as possible to do the job that they like to do then you know that's as, as much as we can do right. and if 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 a coach decides that they want to go and do this on their own then you know there's there's there is nothing that we we can do about that i think what um the customers that have been with these coaches, yeah, after a year, if they've been with them for two years, like they start to feel like more of an attachment and a, you know, alliance with the coach than maybe they do the brand. But for many of the customers that are doing one to one, like they have a very strong connection to the brand of functional bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. They want, they they resonate with what I'm sharing, what the messages that we're putting out, what Sati is writing. Like they're included in a lot of the things that we are doing on a regular basis in terms of like ongoing community education and, and feeling part of the community. So I'm not saying we do all those things to like mitigate the risk of like a coach leaving and we want to like capture those customers, but we certainly want those customers to feel like they're functional bodybuilding clients and Brianna's client. And, and I think that that also ends up being something that the coach sees as like a value. Like, hey, when I'm, when I'm here, you know, and I've had, I had a conversation with one of our coaches recently, you know, very direct on this. I was like, why are you staying, like, versus going? He's like, well, because I've done it on my own. Like, I know how hard it is to do it this way. Like, having, you know, he, he rattled off five reasons why this is, this is the place for him to be as opposed to trying to go do it on his own. Um, he's like, yeah, I could probably, I mean, I would make more money per customer if I had them on my own, but like, 
on my end is that I have more admin work to do. I have now I have to go and get my own customers all the time. Like I have to do all of these things that I don't have to do now. And that from like a, a life balance perspective just shifts things yeah. so much that, you know, is that added cost or at the, that added revenue that he's going to get from being able to bill his clients directly is he going to make up for the cost that's going to come in time and energy and, and his own resources to get new customers to like be able to service these clients while trying to get new clients. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, we were, we certainly have an incentive system built into like reward a coach for if they get their own client, like they, you know, we can change the, the pricing tier structure so that you make a bit more than if we feed you a client. It's not so, I mean, we either, well, we haven't maybe incentivized it enough to really get coaches to go do it because they they don't. Yes. Um, or at the end of the day, they're just like, well, you're handing me f- three to five new clients a month and this was no working. consequence. If yeah. Like if they own their own online company and they didn't get clients, there's a direct consequence there. Sure. When they're yeah. at 1099, it's everything you're saying is so, and I really hope everyone listening, I don't care whether you have brick and mortar online, it's so interesting and valuable, and you're right. And it's there's nothing you can do. Incentivizing them is the number one thing. And I was creating a model. It was an online gym. It, you know, they converted during 2020, and they said they said, "Stu, this is my biggest fear." Like blah blah blah. The one thing we kind of came up with as I was helping them build this out is like you need to then just rem- if you're really fearful, take the fear out. You want I want to lower that fear. I probably can't take it to zero, but I probably can lower it. If why would anyone take the clients and leave? Because they believe they could do it better themselves. What's yeah. the hardest thing about them doing it better themselves? Actually acquiring the clients. Your mm-hmm. brand, your following, all this is what brings people in. So we created on a 12-month schedule two months of blackout months where that coach is not fed. Because it's kind of like a hostess system. A hostess seats new clients with different coaches based on, yeah. oh, you'll get with this. This person also played volleyball or whatever it may be. So two months where there's a blackout, you actually don't get any new clients during that time. Maybe there's corporate trainings. We have thing, other things we need you spending some time doing yeah. and taking on new. But those two months will be enough for someone to be like, fuck, this kind of sucks not getting any new clients this month. And now maybe they have the chops and they hit the road and they're outside on their own social media and they're drawing a few clients in. Yeah. And now you're able to see, oh, this person's this person can sell too. They might have value to me beyond just doing remote coaching. Maybe I could also bring them into some kind of a sales training role with these coaches. Yeah, but you know, restrict the food for a month and just see how it fares. And I think it's enough of a reminder. Like, oh fuck, I like getting fed, right? Like, yeah, I when the bear's hungry, he eats. But it's because you're always feeding me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, it, when I was I was making notes here on this the high ticket offer, and then I I asked you last night. I said. This functional bodybuilding kind of, you know, its legacy and its growth potential, does it increase more getting more customers? Does it increase more by adding the high ticket sales and getting that from 25% of revenue up to 45% of revenue? Does it increase more from becoming, you know, parallel as an actual fitness methodology that is taught? Like we talked about like how CrossFit with the certifications, all that. From a legacy perspective, and I'm sure it's a little bit of all of it. Where where does functional bodybuilding leave the biggest legacy impact? Is it on more customers who follow programs? Is it on coaches who go around spreading the gospel, just like we all did with CrossFit? Where do you kind of see that from a, a legacy perspective? Like, I want someone to. I'm going to ask you the last question of the workout, uh, last question of this. But like, how do we get Marcus Philly's head on that Mount Rushmore of influential strength and conditioning coaches in the fitness industry? Hmm. Interesting. 
Well, I don't know. I, I don't aspire to be on the Mount Rushmore of <laughs> the, the strength, conditioning, fitness industry of coaches, because to me, I I'm still I'm still a student, and I I think I'll always be a student, and I'm looking to those individuals. I don't necessarily. I mean, and I think who falls on those, as I would see it, that Mount Rushmore of like influential coaches in the strength and conditioning world and fitness world are people that have like really, you know, changed the way people think about, about fitness. You know, that's Greg Glassman in a way that's kind of Ben Patrick in a way. Um, you know, just, I only say it like kind of because he's still, it's still, he's still young in, in terms of like global awareness, but man, what he's done in a couple of years is pretty profound. Um, it's called, of course, people like Louis Simmons and like, you know, Brett Contreras, people like that, that have just like had a paradigm shift. I mean, I don't, I see functional bodybuilding as a safe place to bring in a little bit of everybody. That's, that's what we're trying to create. It's like, you love to do bodybuilding. You love to do bicep curls and do box jumps. Like, it's cool. You can come here. Like, you don't have to get shamed for trying to sneak in some bicep curls in the back of your gym where like, Everyone thinks bicep curls are, you know, the devil and you're so only supposed to be doing burpees and, you know, kipping chin-ups. Like, I want you to feel like it's okay to, like, follow a thoughtful, like, cardio program mm-hmm. next to your powerlifting. Like, it's not going to eat away your gains. Like, you can do that here. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, you know, in terms of, like, legacy of functional bodybuilding, like, I, in... I resonate so much with Alex Ramosi's like talk about legacies. Like, you know, when I'm done, when I'm done, like, you know, at least one generation out from my death, like, no one's gonna remember me. Correct. Yeah. You know, five generations, absolutely no chance. Yep. Like, uh, you know, and and if and if I have a name that lives on beyond that, like, it's for like little fleeting moments of like somebody's sure you know life, right, and their day. So I'm, I think that like. What I want functional bodybuilding to continue to do is to, you know, I was on a call yesterday with, there were about 12 12 of these individuals who are Persist members. They product test for us. They're three weeks ahead of the bulk of our one-to-many program subscribers. And they were talking to us about like, how they're using this in their various lives. Like, and I, I think his name was Sam or maybe it was Joe. It was like, I'm a super busy guy. I work a you know busy job. This is how much time I have. And I want to just get in and get after it. And I'm looking for this feeling so that I can go on with my evening and do this. Yeah. And then this is like, I'm a busy mom and I got to get my five days a week in. Like I'm really dedicated to it. I want to have like energy afterwards. Like I, you know, I follow every part of your training. Like I do the warm up, I do this, I follow it to the T, like, and I can't not do it. So <laughs> this is what I need out of it. And I'm like, I want to allow people to like check the box on their health and fitness in a way that's like enjoyable, effective, safe, and is like now they can just go and really bring energy into their world. Like, I want that for me in life. Like I want my fitness to be the thing that allows me to go back home and be an awesome dad and really just 
connect with life. You know, I don't want it to be a distraction from people. I don't want it to be the thing that they're like, how am I going to get in shape? It's like, I just want to, it's like you, you, you know, you shower each day, you brush your teeth, you do functional bodybuilding, like you just check, check, check. And, you know, more than a shower and brushing your teeth, like actually people really like their showers, but like you really like, you know, that's, that's a pretty sweet hour of your day to go and move and to express your body. And again, like that word safe and inclusive or accessible, like I want it to feel safe to be like, yeah, I do this thing. Not like safe, it's not going to injure me, but like I can just, I can do all these things in the gym and it's not going to be like weird, you know? And, and that's, that is going to be accomplished, you know, back to your question, by more subscribers, more people doing functional bodybuilding in gyms, you know? Like I want people to like, you know, and there's a period of time during the ATS days when it was like really making its way through CrossFit gyms because like a lot of CrossFit coaches and just people at like the competitors, people that were already doing their own thing at the gym were starting to do ATS at CrossFit boxes where it was like I'd get messages all the time like, yeah, I was at like this gym and I was doing ATS and someone was like, hey, you're doing ATS. Yeah, and they, they just knew it. it. You know, they yeah. recognize it. Like I want that to start happening in, you know, SF Fitness, in, you know, 24-hour fitness and Gold's Gym and – um, and it does happen. It certainly does. It's like you can see it. it's like, oh, you're doing a Cossack squad and you're doing like a, sure. you know, a kneeling press. A Philly press. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, let's do that. You know, I want to I want to I want to make that happen. So it's going to happen with more subscribers. It's definitely going to happen when there's coaches who are like, hey, I'm coaching this to all my people. You know, I'm spreading this message. Yeah. Yeah. Go into the, you know the virality of functional bodybuilding or any movement. There's a great book it's called Talk Triggers by Jay Bear. And it's like, you got to find that thing that people just intrinsically want to either hashtag or wear or do, or it's the movement and what they do. The Philly press is so funny. The gym I go to now, I think maybe I text messaged the GM. I was busting his balls. He, he wrote, he had Philly press in, in the in the workout. Yeah. He spelled it P H. And I think I texted him. I think I said something. <laughs> I was like, brother, give credit where credit's due. God damn it. Um, but no, it, it's one of these deals where, do you think about that in your programming? We talked about like, okay, how do I continue to make functional bodybuilding unique, right? Mm -hmm. I can't like, sure, it definitely looks different, but the more people that copy it, the more my need to pull away and really make it unique to where even when people copy it, be like, oh no, that's totally functional bodybuilding. That's what Marcus Philly created. Do you think of that? Like, are you ever in here like playing with like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to win. Like, it's so hard, but I'm going to try to invent or stylize a movement that no one is currently stylized. Hmm. That way I could give it the Philly press or some kind of yeah. name and it becomes synonymous across. And again, that's, that be adds to the legacy and the talk trigger level of the brand. Yeah. Um, here's my thought thoughts on that. Like getting something to be stylized and look a particular way that's unique, that like is eye catching. I think it can be a little short sighted because like when it comes to fitness and strength and conditioning, like we're not like, discovering new things we're just sort of we're just trying to get more people to do the same stuff and how we package it and the feeling people have when they do it that's you know that's that's what's different from like program to program or coach to coach uh it's like hey you did a little bit more of this and it feels a certain way or you did a little more of that and if i'm taking like the basics of like we're going to squat, we're going to hinge, we're going to push, we're going to pull, we're going to do some core work, we're going to do some single leg work. And these are the 
the 50 core exercises, like if I can take something and maybe put a little, little, little delta on it, a little spin, it makes it feel like a different stimulus for somebody slightly, but it's still a press, you know? So a Philly press, like I didn't go out of my way to be like, let's do something totally different. It was like, I'm doing unilateral presses and I'm like, okay, this feels a little different. not locking it out behind the shoulder blade. Like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early on in, in functional bodybuilding and awakened training series, I was doing a lot of like movement exploration. Like let's take this exercise and let's change this. And, you know, it's why we have an exercise library on, on YouTube. That's, you know, 2,500, yeah. 3,000 movements. Like there's a lot of yeah. movements it's because there's, there's 115 different dumbbell row variations on there. We just put together an email that was, it was 114 dumbbell row variations. It was like this newsletter yeah. slash blog article that got posted on a lot of different sites. And there was a YouTube that went along with it. It was great. It was like tons of good information in there and a link to all 114 YouTube episodes or videos that we have on how to do a dumbbell row. It was like single arm dumbbell row, yep. bilateral, yep. you know, with a band pull, you know, pressing and pulling yep. and like, you know, you name it, right? At some point, those like were, I was really into the exploration of that because I was in this world of doing the same nine exercises freaking all the time. CrossFit. I was just like, I mean, I burpeed, power clean, thrustered. Like I did that, you know, it was constantly varied. That was just how they were coordinated together. It wasn't the movements. Like we did the same 10 things every day. And so I was thirsty for some variety because it helped me get out of this, like this, you know, painful intensity, like crush that I was in all the time. And, and I think a lot of people like that too. They were like, oh, this is fun. Like I'm getting to try new things. And, but after some period of time, it's like, well, constantly changing up and doing new variations isn't actually like effective from a progressive overload standpoint. Like we have to have a foundation of like very core movements that we do and, you know, a periodic like nuanced movement that you do in the training is fun and varied and it gives you some good training reps and it gets you out of the mindset of like i have to lift this heavy but the core of the training needs to be like a little bit more simple and one of the one piece of feedback that we'll get from time to time is like at least in the ats days like man it's like it's too many things to set up and i'm having to watch videos all the time and it's like okay well that maybe got some attention so I'll put some of those movements like on social media, but when people arrive like at the training, it's like simple. It's it's got to be more simple, yep. just so that they can have success. And I'm not trying to like bait and switch. Be like, hey, I showed you that I was doing this wacky movement over here, and now I'm just having you do Bulgarian split squats. It's like no, it's it's a it's always a bit of both. And we, I always like to show the simple stuff and you know some more complex movements online. Um, but the foundation of FBB is like, here's very simple stuff to do that's elegantly balanced. And we have this whole concept of like, you know, we're going to approach some of these sort of variation movements that you haven't seen very much to build what we call strength balance. And that's so I, I think of more like creating aspects of training or f- formats of training or, you know, sections of training that are really dedicated to the exploration of movement. And that might be the area that people are like, 
you know, when you're doing a functional bodybuilding program and there's back squats and there's strict press and there's Bulgarian split squats, no one's going to look at that and be like, oh, yeah, that's functional bodybuilding. Yeah. But when it's time to do, like, single arm dumbbell presses and, you know, a kickstand goblet pistol squat. Gorilla and yeah, yeah. And, you know, with, with like, jumping on a bike, like, people might be like, oh, yeah, that that's got a little bit of a – you know, Marcus Philly functional pump conditioning format to it. I, I, I recognize that. And you guys have recently released Pump 40 is the one of the newer releases, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, so obviously a lot of feedback from your test groups, quicker, faster, get us in and out kind of scenario. Even like, you know, when I document my workouts and someone's like, man, it's a really long time. And I'm like, I always think of myself. I'm like, yeah, it, it, if I, you know, when I think of like someone who does this as a business, it's got to be so hard to put yourself in the mind. Like, again, because you, you, you're busy, but you are not, rushing to get to the gym in rush hour, having to squeeze in the workout in 30. Yeah, it's just a different world. And it, I think it, I think it's so, um, and again, maybe most companies do this. I'll, you know, I, I don't think I've ever asked, but having a test group like that, it's mm. ahead. I think that's, I think it's so simple and, and, and profound to do and have a focus group to constantly feed off of on that front. Yeah. Well, yesterday was actually our first call with that focus group. We do a lot. They put their feedback into a Google sheet that I'm, I'm in every single week and we're highlighting notes in there and making adjustments. But to actually speak with them, you know, in a live Zoom was really, it, I don't know, it gave me a, a big lift of like, okay. Because one of the big questions we've had as a company, me and Satya talked about this often, it's like, how are we going to get like more usable and like feedback from people? Like what, how do we mind, how do we get data from? Yeah, qualitative. Yeah. yeah. And even quantitative, but qualitative too. It's like, how do we get that? Now, the testers in our group are like, you know, people have been around for six plus months. They've been with us a long time. Like they're they're kind of really bought into the FBB world. But so they might not represent that new person that sure. just found us last week and is like in their first week of persistence is like, ah, oh, I'm a little lost. You always create that subset if you needed to. We can try. Yeah. We can try, you know, but you know, it's a lot to ask of somebody who's brand new to like, you know, we need you to give feedback. We need you to do this. Like, we're not paying these people at this point, you know, which maybe that's something that you have sure to. pretty sure an Instagram story saying that we're looking for people who have never done any of our programs. Yeah. And we're looking for 15 people. Here's an application, that kind of thing. I think maybe. you'd be able to pull it off. Yeah, interesting. Well, anyway, that, that breathes some, some life into me because there was like feedback I got yesterday. It's like, yeah, like, so this is what I did and this is how I approach this. This is how I... It worked for me, but I could see in the eyes of like somebody who's pretty new, like this might be hard. Like Confusing. they might be intimidated. Like, you know, in the cool down, mm -hmm. there's like passive hang, three minutes. And they're like, I can't hang from the bar for like 30 seconds. Like somebody might think that's super intimidating. I'm like, yeah. well, oh, we need, we need to put the note in about like, you know, support your feet on a box. Like make sure that you can, like, if you need to take yeah. breaks, like you can take, cut the time hang down. Like a set of rings horizontally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyhow, like those little notes and those feedback points were, were really valuable. I'm really impressed with what you've done here, man. I, it's, it's very, very cool from a, an online business perspective and just to take again, talk about just CrossFit being the, the sun and all these things that have spun off. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I, I've been really impressed and I, cause it, it gets, I think fitness again, I think we swung so far to one end of the, the spectrum of CrossFit. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it, it was going to take somebody to kind of bring it back where people I think naturally wanted to go was more to the middle, but not all the way back to where we were with, you know, uh, bodybuilding and then 30 minutes of cardio afterwards kind of thing. So, yeah, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm beyond, uh, 
proud and grateful to say that I know you and I call you a friend and a colleague and I, and I really, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do next. And I really appreciate you taking out the time this weekend and to hang yeah. out and do this. I really yeah. Do. And it's, uh, it's, I know it's been a while since we've had this even on the books and yeah. just knowing that you were coming out, it was, you know, it's like the, a month would go by, be like, Oh man, that's coming up. That's yeah. going to be fun. And so I love the content that you put out. I, I think it's, I'm so impressed by just the way that you are constantly, you know, giving, you know, value to people, even when it's like free value, like, Hey, this is content. Here's some, here's some uh, information I have. And, uh, you know, whether you opt in to like, you know, come behind a paywall and get one of my programs or work with me in consulting, you know, that's up to you, but I'm still putting this out. And, you know, I definitely take a lot of, uh, lot of inspiration from how you're approaching things so it's it's great to connect and i'm looking forward to the workout that's Absolutely. coming next yeah this will be good we'll go do this ladies and gentlemen marcus philly thank you brother thanks bro. i appreciate it